There will now be an opportunity for silent prayer and meditation. You may be seated. Uh, honorable members, I uh, I wish to announce that the vacancy which occurred in the National Assembly owing to the resignation of Mr. M. Waters has been filled by the nomination of uh, Ms. T. Bodlani with effect from the 17th March 2021. The member has made and subscribed the oath uh, in our office uh, through the virtual platform. Welcome, honorable member. Uh, lastly, in the interest of safety, uh, honorable members, we remind you once more to please uh, keep your masks on and generally stick around the seat you are located to. Uh, that will be great for the day and for all of us' safety. Honorable members, I have been informed that the president will speak to us virtually. Uh, uh, so that's the situation today. Uh, now, Kasi Sutu, uh, uh, can you deal with that echo, please? Uh, we would have liked him to be here. He always prefers to be here. He's unable to be so. So we will uh, deal with as it says, there's only one item on today's order paper, and this is questions addressed to the president. Uh, there are four supplementary questions on each question. Parties have been given an indication which questions their members wish to pose. Supplementary questions. Adequate notice was given to parties for this purpose. This was done to facilitate participation of members who are connecting, especially to the uh, sitting through the virtual platform. The members who will pose supplementary questions will be recognized. Uh, in allocating opportunities, the principle of fairness as usual uh, has been applied. If a member who is supposed to ask a supplementary question, this is to remind you through the virtual platform and is unable to do so due to technical difficulties, the party whip on duty in the house and or elsewhere will be allowed to ask the question on behalf of their member. When all the supplementary questions have been answered by the president, we will proceed to the next question on the question paper. The first question has been asked by Honorable M.T. Kibi. Welcome, Mr. President, and uh, uh, please proceed. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. I am sorry that I'm not able to be in the House. Order. On a point of order, Deputy Speaker. Uh, what's the point of order, Honorable Member? 
I, I was waiting to check who is going to be answering these questions because all of us who are representing political parties, and as far as we're concerned, maybe you must deal with that first. Who is representing us? The information that we have is that Mr. Ramaphosa has suspended from the organization. He's supposed to mandate to yeah. here. So you must clarify who is representing. Is it representing his jacket? Order. Or is Order. representing a political party? Order. Because he's not Order. permitted. Honorable member, please sit down. Members, this is your information to your own networks and things. We don't know what you're talking about. Uh, as far as we are concerned, uh, the president is here and he's going to. You hear? So the president, go ahead, please. Mr. Speaker. No, Honorable Member, if you are proceeding on this thing, I have ruled on this matter and I've communicated no, to you. It's, it's false to say that. We no, no, no. Honorable it's Member. Information honorable Member. I'm speaking it as a dealt with Honorable, before honorable Honorable Shibambo, in the first place, you stood up there without anybody recognizing you. This is a violation of the rules of the House. Order. And if you repeat it, honorable member, this will be considered contempt. And I think you should accept that. And, and in the first place, we are here uh, as, uh, as parliament, not as anything else. Uh, honorable Social president, Social distance, honorable, honorable members, Please don't rule from the floor. Honorable uh, uh, members sitting on that seat, you are not supposed to be sitting like that, please. Please, you know that. Thank you very much. Honorable members, don't rule from the chairs where you are sitting. We will reserve this chair for you, but in the future. Mr. President, please go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Yes, Speaker. Uh, yes. On a point of order. What's the point of order? Yeah, the Deputy President of the EFF asked the question, and it has not been responded to. With what? all the greatest respect, I'm talking to the Deputy Speaker. What's your question, Honorable Member? The question is, who is the person that is speaking now? <coughs> honorable speaking on honorable, honorable Member. member. We are here as responsible to know who the president is. He must have a point of order. Honorable members. Can you protect me? So it must worry about Julius, not the age. Speaker. Point of order. Not these people, but members of parliament. Point of order. Point of order. Honorable members, uh, including those on the virtual platform, can please, you please chase them the way? Uh, please, uh, honorable member, can you take a seat so that I address you, please? Okay. Yeah. Honorable Member, this is Parliament, and Parliament has not 
hear the story that you are telling us about, you and your chief whip. We don't know what you are talking about as parliament. So there is no question of such nature that arises as a result. We are here to listen to the president of the country. And so this is what's going to proceed. Uh, Honorable President, please go on. I'm not taking any order on this matter anymore. Honorable President, let's proceed. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Honorable members. Honorable members, give them a chance to speak, please. In relation to the first question, the achievement of a national democratic society is a necessary response to the economic and social inequalities in South Africa. It describes a society that is truly united, democratic, non-racial, and non-sexist. It is an inclusive society in which all people benefit from sustainable economic growth. Since the advent of democracy in 1994, the country has made valuable progress along the path towards a national democratic society. We are not yet there, but we have made great progress. Now, the measures we are undertaking to rebuild our economy in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic are contributing to the fundamental transformation that is required to advance that aspiration. We have said before that the economic reconstruction and recovery plan cannot simply return our country to where it was before the pandemic struck. It needs to build a new, more inclusive economy that can effectively reduce poverty, unemployment, and inequality. Through this plan, we are mobilizing investment, creating new jobs, and supporting existing ones and accelerating industrialization. We are undertaking large-scale public investment in key sectors of our economy, such as energy, water and sanitation, roads and bridges, human settlements, health and education, digital infrastructure, and public transport. Investment in infrastructure is transformative. Not only does it stimulate growth and expand economic infrastructure, but it also improves our competitiveness and promotes job creation. It also provides crucial social infrastructure and services to the people of our country, particularly those in poor and underserviced communities. Already we have seen over the last 27 years how our investment in infrastructure whether for electrification, whether for water provision or housing, has contributed a great deal to reducing poverty. We've seen how our investment in schools, in clinics, in colleges and universities have opened the doors of learning to many young people and improved access also to healthcare, 
As we promote investment in sectors such as agriculture, in manufacturing, mining, tourism, we are supporting emerging businesses in these areas that previously they were not even able to participate in through the provision of finance, training, and access to markets. Our emphasis on localization aims not only to benefit established companies, but also to grow small-scale manufacturers in the townships and also to promote our rural entrepreneurs. We are undertaking the presidential employment stimulus to provide work opportunities through public employment programs as well as through the protection of existing jobs and also with a view of supporting livelihoods. By the end of March, the presidential employment stimulus had supported over 650,000 people in opportunities through a wide range of programs for people who would otherwise have remained unemployed with over half a million participants already at work. As part of this employment stimulus, more than 300,000 education assistants were placed in over 20,000 schools across our country. Funding has also been provided to protect vulnerable teaching posts. Income support is being provided for more than 100,000 workers in the early childhood development sector. More than 50,000 opportunities are being created in public employment programs in the environmental sector, including in natural resource management, fire protection, and on the, waste, on the war on waste. Almost 2,000 artisans have been hired by the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure to support water and energy efficiency, and many of these are young people. They've also been brought into facilities management and into the Rural Bridges Program. The expansion of the Global Business Services Incentive has enabled the creation of more than 8,000 new jobs in, this, in the sector since October. More than 100,000 small-scale and subsistent farmers are being provided with input vouchers to expand their agricultural production. Deputy Speaker, as we enter the second phase of the stimulus, we are focused on ensuring that we establish pathways for participants into the private sector employment in areas of education and training and enterprise support. The Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan is underpinned by a dedicated focus on key economic reforms, particularly in network industries like energy, water ports, rail and telecommunications. Through the Operation Vulindel, 
We are accelerating the implementation of these reforms and unlocking investment and growth. Economic reforms are also necessary to reduce the cost of living for South Africans who will benefit from more efficient, competitive, and sustainable services like electricity, water, as well as transport. The achievement of a national democratic society requires a capable developmental state. A state that is people-centered, but also a state that is free from corruption. This administration has therefore taken decisive measures to confront state capture and corruption, to rebuild public institutions and strengthen law enforcement agencies, and to also professionalize the public service. Through the district development model, we are seeking to bring all levels of government closer to our people and to ensure that communities and other stakeholders are more involved in the development and implementation of local development plans. As we have worked towards our goal of a national democratic society over the last 27 years, we've been confronted by numerous challenges. We've had to tackle the damaging legacy of our apartheid past, which continues to divide our society by race, gender, and class, and to cast a shadow, a dark shadow, over the future of our young people. We've also had to confront our own weaknesses, including corruption and areas of mismanagement and poor delivery. Most recently, we've had to confront the coronavirus pandemic, the most severe global health crisis in more than a century. But as we work to rebuild our economy and society, we continue to pursue the fundamental social and economic transformation that our constitution promises and that the people of this country desire and so deserve. Deputy Speaker, I thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, the first supplementary question will be asked by Honorable Steve Eby, who's on the virtual platform. Nkosi Kakulu, Deputy Speaker. Nkosi Mongameli, Ngukupendula Umbuzo Wam. Mongameli, Eku Kaulize Seni Umanyano Lwentlado Elizwe Nileto. Ngukusebenzi Sana Kukakulu Mente Nemibuto Yolundu. Kwaye Nemibuto Yamazwe Ngamazwe. Eku Pukiseni Umanyano. Ingaba Akona Amanye Amanyatelo Amacha. Kwaye Nezi Kwanziso Ezicha. Ezi zaku kaulezi sa injongo ze lizwe, eku pukiseni injongo ze NDP 2030. Engosi se deputy speaker. President. Ya bulela, ewe akona amanye amanyatelo amanizi. Esi chogade na au, esi sebenza uo ogwangoku. The focus on creating jobs 
is the main focus of this administration. It is for that reason that we focus on attracting investment into our economy from both the local business, both public sector as well as private sector, but also from international investors, some of whom operate their companies here and we're in the process of attracting more and more of them. Our focus is also on infrastructure. Infrastructure investment remains one of the key areas that we want to grow our economy through. And we're focusing on ensuring that we attract the private sector to invest with us. It is for that reason that we set up an infrastructure fund, which is up and running now, where the government has invested money and is in the process of attracting private sector investors in the form of various funds, development funds from all over the country and all over the world. Focusing on infrastructure, means that we can create more jobs. And we've got a number of projects that are already under implementation. A number of others are shovel ready. And a number of others are going to be focusing on improving the lives of our people at local government level. In areas such as water and roads and houses, Student accommodation is another area where we're attracting quite a lot of investment. The reindustrialization of our economy is another important area. And we want to be able to achieve this through localization, through ensuring that we promote small and medium enterprises to become key players in the localization of production of products and services in our own country. And through that, we're hoping that we will be able to support a number of businesses to continue growing. Small and medium enterprises need our support to access markets as well. Women-led businesses, youth-led businesses, will continue to be our focus. Emakai, ezoglima, sefuna uguti, i agriculture yetu. Ibe i agriculture e productive. Ezoenzoguti, squazoglima, sibenezinkomu, and abantubaguti, they must be able to export. To export their products. I was overjoyed when I went to the Eastern Cape a few weeks ago and I met about 54 emerging black farmers who are now in the citrus sector and who are now exporting their citrus products. And they said, what they now need is more land, 
more land, more financial support. It is in these areas that we want to upgrade our agriculture and a number of other areas through our country. And it is for that purpose that agriculture support is growing by leaps and bounds. And of course, in all this, we want to continue improving the skills of our young people so that they can be so well-trained and be able to be active participants in our economy. So those are a number of some of the initiatives that we are involved in. That is part of our economic recovery and reconstruction plan. With the Volintela initiative, we're pushing ahead with all the reforms that we need to embark on so that our economy can recover, so that we can create more and more jobs. This is our focus. This is what we are seeking to do through this plan. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Um, Honorable members, the second question is by the Honorable Leader of the Opposition. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Mr. President, once again, you've tiptoed around the elephant in the room. At the heart of the failures mentioned in the original question lies your policy of cadre deployment. Every individual who crippled a state institution or allowed SOEs to be turned into pots of lootings for cadres were deliberately deployed there by the ANC. Many of them, while you yourself were the head of the cadre deployment committee. In the testimony, you said that, well, sometimes you got it wrong. Well, that's some understatement. Mieni, Molefi, Gama, Singh, Abrahams, Fraser, Montana, Motsaneng, Mkwabani, and the list goes on. All deployed on your watch. This cannot be justified in a democracy. Now, Mr. President, the DA has put its money where its mouth is, and we've tabled the NK, the deployment bill, in this house. So my question to you today, Mr. President, is, Will you support this bill? And if not, why won't you support this bill to end cadre deployment? Thank, thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Speaker, I would like to say that Mr. Stienhazen, or Honorable Member Stienhazen's um, question is completely misdirected. It is not cadre development. It is indeed uh, where we might have gone wrong, the people themselves who may have had their own missteps. There's nothing inherently wrong with cadre development. I did say at the Zondo Commission that to the extent that we need to streamline it with the concept of professionalizing, our public service, we are willing and prepared to do so. And professionalizing our public service means that we are going to move ahead forward with appointing people who are fit for purpose. Now, sometimes you may appoint people thinking that they are fit for purpose and they may be found wanting in one area or another. All over the world, all over the world, governing parties 
including the democratic alliance where it governs, does embark on political appointments, political intervention in appointments. Because what pol governing political parties seeks to do is to ensure that it has people who understand its ideology, who understand its principles, who understand its programs. And those people are usually your high-end people who will be driving the clear vision that the governing party seeks to achieve. And this should never be mistaken with saying that everybody in the public service should be a member of a political party. The OECD produced a wonderful paper that is written by uh, Mr. Matheson and a number of others where they say it is necessary that governing parties should be able to appoint people at a political level. But those people must be fit for purpose. Those people must be able to execute what the political party has been given as a mandate by the voters. Now, 10 million voters voted for the ANC, and having done so, we went to those 10 million voters and said, this is our manifesto. And to execute our manifesto, we need people who will be able to drive that manifesto implementation. So there is nothing wrong with cadre development. It is done all over the world. I even at the Zondo Commission quoted what uh, the leading lady of uh, British politics, Margaret Thatcher, used to say. And she used to say it possibly <laughs> much more pointedly than, than us. And she used to ask, is he or she one of us? And that is how she went about appointing key people in her administration. Now, we are saying that our cadre development appointments is really about ensuring as we move forward that we professionalize the public service, we have people who are well-qualified, fit for purpose, who will be able to act in the interests of South Africans and not be acting in their own personal interests driven by greed or the interests of others where they are captured. The days of state capture are over. And we now want people who are fit for purpose will be able to act in the interests of all South Africans. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President. Deputy Speaker. Yes, Deputy Speaker, I'm very glad I've got the President quoting Thatcher. That's some progress. But he did not answer. <laughs> no, the the question was, would he support the bill or not? No. He hasn't answered that question. Now, let's not make the same mistake uh, the Sondo Commission has criticized uh, the Parliament for. By not getting people to answer the question. Yeah. It was a simple question. Will you support the point of order? Why not? Honorable member. Point of order, the This is the problem. I'll give you a chance, honorable member. 
Honorable Hazel. Uh, this is a problem. Of, uh, I do wish honorable members could recognize the effect. Honorable member, we are talking here from the chair. Can you have some, at least modicum of respect for a moment? It doesn't have to be your entire life. Just whilst we are speaking, can you hold on to your horses a little bit? We expect you to ask your question and then say everything else. If everything else, and then the question at the end, this, the person listening to you is likely to focus the rest of your story. As the president did, no, I am advising you because you will have constant quarrels that your questions have not been answered. You will have that. I am telling you that. Mr. President, I'm sure you will answer that question. There's no problem with doing so. The president- no, uh, Deputy, Deputy Speaker, yeah. it appears like Mr. Uh, Stian Hazen wants to force feed me. Now he wants to force feed me with a menu of food that I have not even seen. I have not had sight of this bill that he's talking about. I don't know its contents. I don't know its objective. And once I have looked at it, I'm quite happy to give Mr. Stian Hazen a very straightforward and direct answer. Show me the bill and I will be able offline or online to give you my view on it. Thank you very much. Honorable Mishra. Order, order, honorable members. Uh, honorable Mishra, it's your turn. Let's listen to the ACD. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Mr. President, in my response to your 2018 SONA address, I thank you for giving hope to the people of South Africa after a number of commitments you made. Among these, you promised to ensure that the tide of corruption in our public institutions would be turned. But from what we are experiencing and what we are seeing, it is happening at a very slow pace. You also said, and I quote, we are one people committed to work together to find jobs for youth, to build factories and roads and houses where families would feel safe, be productive and content. Mr. President, there are still majority, well, many people in South Africa who still are not feeling safe. Unemployment is risen and many are desperate for a healthcare facility near them. My question to you, Mr. President, is does the state have the capacity and the will to reverse the hopelessness and low morale that so many South Africans are feeling? Uh, well, remember your term has expired. Uh, you know how much time you have. Why do you extend it without permission? 18 seconds. No, man, no, honorable members, please. Uh, the, uh, uh, our president, please uh, respond to the question. Thank you. We have been taking steps ever since the sixth administration started to root out corruption, to address malfeasance in government. And we never really expected it to be done in one year, in one season. It is a process. 
And it is for that reason that we've taken steps to change the trajectory of a number of our law enforcement institutions. And the Zondo Commission is in the process now of uncovering quite a lot of what happened in the past, which we will attend to once that report is out. So it is a process. Do we have the will? Do we have the determination to address the aspirations of our people? The answer is yes, we do. We are committed to doing so. And sometimes, yes, we may move slowly. Governments often move very slowly, but we're shortening the time of being able to do things that are in the interest of our people. We're coming from a very low base and we will keep on working to improve the lives of our people when it comes to those matters that impact on their lives at a social level, at an economic level, and in at many other levels. We are committed to doing so and this is what this government is all about. Will we make mistakes along the way? Yes, we will. Will we seek to correct our mistakes? Yes, we will. The important thing is that we will keep moving forward all the time. And we would like to see all of us working together in unison, addressing the interests of our people. That, to us, is what matters most. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Uh, the last supplementary question is asked by Honorable Sheikh Imam. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Mr. President, you in the Zondo Commission admitted that your party, the ANC, has been receiving funding. Sometimes you knew that it was unlawful, and then sometimes you knew after that, but never returned the money because your organization always needs money. Now, I put it to you, Mr. President, that your party and many others that benefit from this unlawful means are drinking the blood out of the bone of the most vulnerable people in this country. Will you consider withdrawing from the elections as you all have lost integrity, number one, not only the ANC, but other parties that unduly benefit from these things, charge criminally those that have received and those that knew about it and did very little or nothing about it. It's a criminal act who knows that these criminal acts that are taking place and you do nothing about it. Will you consider withdrawing from the election and those other parties in the interest of creating a better society? Should I wait for your invitation to answer, Deputy Speaker, or go ahead? No, proceed. Uh, don't wait, uh, uh, Mr. President. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be very disciplined, uh, Deputy Speaker. I was Salute. taught that I should only speak once invited to do so by yourself. So forgive me if I'm over-enthusiastic in relation to my disciplinary approach. Oh, I appreciate it, uh, President. <laughs> Please proceed. Thank you. I'm asking myself whether Honorable uh, Sheikh Imam's question really warrants an answer. 
because he's asking whether we should withdraw, possibly he's suggesting that the ANC should withdraw from the elections. And those other parties that may well have received money, but how does that answer and provide an answer to the people who are out there who would like to see those political parties who have programs, who have solutions to their problems? My simple answer is no. The African National Congress will participate in the forthcoming elections with a great deal of enthusiasm. We get elected to represent the people of our country. As you will have seen, and this I say with all humility without being arrogant, majority of our people still have confidence in the African National Congress. But their confidence is born out of their trust and belief, and also their evidence that they see that we are addressing the challenges that beset the organization in the past. You yourself, Honorable Imam, will have seen how the African National Congress continues to be trusted by our people through the elect, uh, uh, local, uh, local government by elections that have been going on, where the ANC has been winning quite a number of seats, even from its opponents. Those people can see what is happening. And they see that the ANC is in the process of renewing itself, rebuilding itself, correcting itself and demonstrating its determination to focus on the interests of our people. They themselves are investing confidence in the ANC. Now you stand here, Honorable Imam, and say, Can, should we consider withdrawing? No, we will not because our people want us to continue addressing their aspirations and fulfilling their dreams, which we continue doing on an ongoing basis. I'm sorry, therefore, to disappoint you and say we will not withdraw. Maybe you may well want to withdraw yourself. Maybe you are sending us a subtle message that the NFP actually wants to withdraw. If you want to withdraw, withdraw on your own. Do not invite us to withdraw from the elections. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Thank you, uh, President. The question is number two. Question two has been asked by Honorable the Leader of the Opposition. President? Question two. Thank you. An effective comprehensive vaccination program is in the end an essential part of the fight to overcome the coronavirus pandemic. 
since we started negotiating with manuf vaccine manufacturers around September of 2020, we have made significant progress and have overcome many challenges in securing sufficient vaccines to achieve what is known as population immunity. In South Africa, South Africa, in January rather, South Africa signed a contract with the Serum Institute to deliver 1.5 million AstraZeneca doses to vaccinate health workers. The first batch of the vaccines was received in February of this year. Unfortunately, the discovery that AstraZeneca was not effective against the dominant new variant of the virus meant that an alternative had to be sought. And this decision was based on thoroughgoing discussions with our experts. It was not a decision that was taken by people who do not have the scientific and expert knowledge of how vaccines function. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine was shown to be more effective against the variant that was found in South Africa. And it was then that the vaccination of health workers began once we had received a number of doses. The vaccination process was interrupted briefly when the US medicines regulatory body the FDA halted vaccination using the J&J vaccine in mid-April this year because of extremely rare yet severe blood clots experienced by some people who were vaccinated, resulting in the deaths of a very few people. South Africa's Health Products Regulatory Authority, SAPRA, asked the Department of Health to halt the vaccination until the review of the available data was completed. This matter has since been resolved and the vaccination of health workers has now resumed. We subsequently finalized a contract for the supply of 31 million doses of the J&J &J vaccines. At the same time, you might well know that we also fi finalized as a continent now, through the Africa Vaccination Acquisition Task Team that we set up, finalized an agreement for 220 million doses for the rest of the continent. However, we have learned in the past week that the delivery of this batch of vaccines will be delayed as a result of an FDA directive to Johnson & Johnson following the, ins the inspection of one of their facilities that raised concern at that facility were partners of J&J. &J. Following finalization of the contract with Johnson & Johnson, we've also finalized a contract with Pfizer for the supply of 20 million vaccine doses with an additional allocation from COVAX of nearly 1.4 million doses. 
The first shipment of the Pfizer vaccine was received earlier this week. It should be noted that negotiations with manufacturers were protracted as we had to ensure that the terms of the contract were consistent with our laws and were not detrimental to our national interests. It also required that we set up a no-fault compensation scheme through which those who experience severe adverse effects following vaccination can claim damages. We've now finalized the contracts to sufficient for sufficient doses to vaccinate 41.5 million people. The estimated times for the delivery of the vaccines depends on several factors, many of which are beyond our control. The contractual delivery schedule as per the information shared by manufacturers is as follows, as you wanted to know. In quarter two of 2021, we are scheduled to receive 3 million Johnson & Johnson doses, 4.5 million Pfizer doses from our contract with Pfizer, 1.4 million Pfizer doses through the COVAX facility. In quarter three, as you wanted to know, we are scheduled to receive 9.1 million Johnson & Johnson doses, 8.5 million Pfizer doses. In quarter four, we're scheduled to receive 19.1 million J&J doses, that is Johnson and & Johnson, and 7 million Pfizer doses. In total, we are therefore scheduled to receive 31.2 million Johnson & Johnson doses, and 21.4 million Pfizer doses, including that COVAX allocation that we are entitled to. As a country, we want to manufacture vaccines locally against this pandemic and future pandemics. It is for this reason that South Africa and India proposed the TRIPS waiver at the World Trade Organization to enable manufacturing of COVID-19 vaccines in developing countries. The proposal is now supported by more than 100 countries. And now we welcome the statement by the United States administration that it will support the TRIPS waiver on intellectual property protection for COVID-19 vaccines. Now this is a victory for South Africa. It goes to show the influence we have as a country, working together with others, that our voice and messages have weight because they are rational, they are progressive, and they are meant to benefit people on our continent as well as in developing economies around the world. That is the influence we have. Such a waiver should facilitate effective transfer of intellectual property, technology and know-how on mutually beneficial terms. This will ensure production is ramped up across many countries to ensure timely, affordable and equitable access to diagnostics, vaccines and therapeutics 
And it fits in very well with what we've been saying that vaccines should be seen as a public good. Now, we wait for our negotiators who are going to negotiate the text at the World Trade Organization to make sure that our objective in this regard is realized, that vaccines should be made available more broadly and vaccine imperialism and nationalism by your more developed economy countries should come to an end. Honorable Deputy Speaker, I thank you. Uh, thank you, Honorable President. The next, the first supplementary is the leader of the opposition. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Mr. President, I'm sure you agree that all that matters now is vaccines and arms. Anything else is just simply waffle. Vaccines secured means nothing if we don't actually have them. Promises of 40 million vaccinated by the end of the year mean nothing if we cannot physically do it. Now, you've just announced to much fanfare and clapping from your benches that we'll be receiving 325,000 Pfizer shots a week for the rest of the month. But if you do the calculation, you'll see we need to do this every two days for the rest of the year to reach your own 40 million target. Now, consider that the sum total of the last four months has only been 340,000. Do you see the maths issue here, Mr. President? Do you see why we cannot believe you when you tell us the things that you've just said? But perhaps the big question is, do you really care? Because you're so caught up in the internal battles in the ANC while this pandemic rages across South Africa. You said you didn't want to be seen as a weak president. You didn't said you didn't want to uh, the ANC. Well, you've done both very successfully. So well done on that. You're busy waging a factional war while a third wave looms in South Africa. We're now in May, and your ANC government, you're clapping on the benches here, have not administered a single dose. The 800,000 has been done by the Sasongke project. There are still many, many healthcare workers who remain unvaccinated. Now, before you bang on about vaccine imperialism again, let me tell you that South Africa's current ranking for vaccines administered is 33. That's 33rd, not in the world. That's the 33rd in Africa behind Sierra Leone, Sudan, Somalia, and Zambia. South Africans want to know when they're getting vaccinated and you have failed them. So my question is, Mr. President, given that you've now imperiled the lives of 800,000 healthcare workers and millions of vulnerable citizens, as we head into winter and a third wave, will you take responsibility for the lives lost Due to this failure, and if not, Mr. President, then you, you have taken should more take time responsibility. Than you have allocated to me. Mr. President. Uh, thank you, Deputy Speaker. I'm just wondering what uh, uh, Mr. has in at, uh, at lunch, because it does seem like uh, uh, he's a very angry uh, young man, and uh, I just don't know what he, he at. But let me just say, without going through the waffle that he's just articulated here, a waffle of uh, factional battles and all that, which have nothing to do with you. When you were involved in your own uh, battles in the Democratic Alliance, you never heard a single one of us say anything. We did not comment because it's not our space. 
what happens in the Democratic Alliance is your business. And what is happening in the ANC is also not your business. It is ANC business. Now, having put that aside, let me say the following to you. We're not the only country that has been shortchanged, if you like, when it comes to vaccines. Now, we stored a lot of reliance on Johnson & Johnson because it is made here. And the mishaps that we have suffered have been completely out of our hands. The deaths of six people in the United States that got our own authority to say stop the vaccination process was completely unforeseen. There are some people who say, well, we should have just gone ahead. It didn't really matter. But we've tended to listen to our experts. We've tended to listen to our scientists and take advice from them. And you possibly would have wanted us to act like cowboys and just do whatever we could have uh, concluded ourselves. We are not oriented in that way. We listen to our experts and it was due to that delay that emanated from the United States that our experts here felt, our authority here felt we should stop and pause. And we knew we were not pausing for a long time. But just as our own delivery was meant to come through, the FDA in the United States identified a flaw in one of the facilities that is a partner to Johnson & Johnson. And they stopped that. They said that should also stop. Now, that also stopped our own delivery from our own South African base in Kabecha at, our, at the Aspen factory. We were meant to get our own batches so that we carry on. We've lost time, we know that. Do we care? Of course we care. What have we been doing since this pandemic started? You have not been in control and in, in running this whole project of protecting and defending the people of South Africa. But we have been. We have been in the trenches and doing precisely the task of defending and protecting our people. So it's very easy for you to say we are number this, number that. We've had our own both objective and subjective challenges and we are addressing them and now the process is going to unfold. The Sisonke process is part of our national pro project. It's, it's not a DA project, it's a national project. We're all involved in it. So we are proceeding with all that and proceeding with the vaccination of our people. You may wish us ill, but there are many people in our country who wish us well. We are here to protect the lives of South Africans. And that is what has been my key preoccupation as president of the Republic of South Africa. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, President. Um, Honorable Jacobs,
it's your turn to ask the second supplementary question. Thank you, De Deputy Speaker. Mr. President, our government subscribes to providing the best options for all the people of South Africa, especially with regards to the threats posed by COVID-19. Now, we have heard it, heard it numerous times that options and decisions taken by government are informed by the latest applicable and peer-reviewed sciences. And you have just reiterated that here, Mr. President. So let us thank you for, uh, very much for finalizing the contracts with the vaccine manufacturers, a total of 52.6 million doses. Having heard what Terrible Stianaisen says here, I can understand or get to, a real, to realize that he just cannot comprehend the medical sciences involved here and the complexities. But we thank you for forging ahead, uh, Mr. President. Now, can you please put, can you pl please put us at ease on the ability of government to roll out this vaccination program? Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. President. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. And uh, thank you for your sentiments and remarks and also the realization that we've always, the acknowledgement rather, that we've always relied on science and uh, work on peer-reviewed processes. With regard to putting everybody at, at ease in relation to the rollout, we have working together with our partners, the private sector, religious sector, the labor sector, the business sector, and many other sectors. We have crafted and developed a very, very effective vaccination program that is now going to unfold as these batches of vials doses become available. The plan is in place. The centers are in place. The people have been trained. The transportation has been put in place to transport all these doses at the right temperatures. The logistics have been clearly worked out. We've been working very, very closely with the private sector. The medical aid schemes a part of this process. And we did say right at the beginning, right at the beginning that we are embarking on an unprecedented process that this country has never ever seen. And rather than have people throw stones at those who are involved, rather than distract us from what we need to do. We said, let us see this as a national effort. Let us all get involved. But others choose to sit on the sideways, sidewalks and throw stones at those who are involved in this process. And I continue to invite all South Africans. We've never done this before, to have a vaccination process that is going to involve millions and millions of our people, more or less all 
at one go, even if it takes a number of months. We need to work together. So I can assure South Africans that the program is in place. The vaccines are going to be made available. And we are storing a lot of hope and confidence in the availability of these vaccines. As they come on a periodic basis, they're made available that we are going to be able to implement our vaccination program. It's a robust one, and it is going to reach into the real heart of our country, in the rural areas, in the urban areas, and all over. That is going to happen. The delays have had very little to do with our own ineptitude. They've had more to do with objective reasons that I have alluded to. So the vaccination process will get underway. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the third supplementary question is asked by Honorable Shivambo. No, thanks, Deputy uh, Speaker. You know, the, the vaccination of uh, this vaccination plan of the president, like many of his many uh, promises and plans, does not make any sense. It doesn't. Because in our estimation, you will need a minimum of 50 billion rands to vaccinate 67% of the population, which is the head unit. But the national treasury has only allocated 4.3 billion rands for this financial year to vaccinate the entirety of South Africa. And that includes the purchase, the delivery of the vaccination storage, the administering the buying of syringes, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and you, are, you are saying that you are going to, to vaccinate 41 million South Africans when you have only allocated 4.3 billion. And you cannot tell us about the contingency budget because the contingency budget is allocated to things that are not foreseen. We have known for more than 12 months now that there Honorable, is Honorable a Shibambo. pandemic that requires intervention. Honorable Shibambo. Why is there no budget that is allocated to the rollout of the vaccine? Honorable Shibambo, you have you exceeded are just your time. numbers without a clear context. Honorable Shibambo, How are you going to you have exceeded your time. It's only 4.3 billion that has been allocated thus far. Honorable Shibambo, please look at your watch when you speak. No, 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 no. You know the time you are allocated. On a point of order. Please, please. On a point of order. Stay with your time allocated. When, when, when we finish with this process, you must go and check the times that you gave to the leader of the official opposition. Honorable member. The question and the time that you gave us. Honorable member. Like I don't give anybody time. Asking relevant. Don't give please anybody time. No, no, no. Questions. No. I'm going to no, no, you are out of order. Direction that you are Honorable members, you are out of order. Firstly, this time is not given by me. All I do, you have been given this time, you have no authority to exceed the allocated time. By 25 seconds, yourself, for example. This is out of order. You have no basis to object to that. You should stick to your time, and I'm not going to please anybody by not doing so. That's very clear. It should stay clear with you. Honorable President, 
Uh, Honorable Deputy Speaker, thank you. The simple answer I can give to Honorable Shibambo is that when it comes to securing the health of our people by providing vaccines, the South African government is going to make sure that we pull out all stops and we provide the finance to do precisely that. And if it will be necessary for the Minister of Finance to come back to Parliament for either a supplementary budget or to come forward in October for the medium uh, uh, term budget uh, statement, policy statement, that will happen. We are not ever going to sacrifice the health of South Africans in relation to this pandemic. We have never done so in the past. We were able to face the HIV pandemic and uh, embarked on a process of mobilizing resources so that we can save the lives of our people. And by and large, we have succeeded in doing precisely that. With the provision of antiretrovirals, which we now provide to millions of South Africans. And similarly, with this pandemic, money, financial resources are never going to be the issue. We are going to save the lives of South Africans. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. President, uh, the last supplementary question to this question is by Honorable Constable. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Mr. President, regarding the vaccine rollout plan where targets were kept moving and changing since the announcement of a first rollout plan in February this year and the announcement of a new rollout plan by the Minister of Health on the 30th of March this year, where new targets were set again with different numbers of people to be vaccinated by the end of the year and the constant changing of this program, can you, Honorable President, today please gave the correct information regarding the rollout plan and what the targets are for the total number of people to be vaccinated by the end of this year, and what guarantee can the Honorable President give to South Africans today that the current rollout, rollout plan will not change again to disregard confusion among not only healthcare workers, but also among South Africans? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, uh, Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable uh, Deputy Speaker. And uh, I'd like to say to Honorable Van Staden, the, the change to the plan was occasioned by a number of factors. And uh, the Minister of Health announced uh, a revised uh, rollout plan. And uh, that rollout plan uh, is, is going to be implemented and if there's a need for change, it will be communicated in time and in advance. I do not, where I sit now, believe that there'll be any need for change. I like to believe that we've got a robust plan, an implementable plan, and a plan that I believe will be effective and uh, will be able to reach out the various uh, numbers that we, we've announced. We did say that we want to achieve population immunity. And yes, the scientists have arrived at the number that will constitute population immunity, which is some 40 million South Africans or so. Uh, I would have 
preferred, I would prefer that we go even beyond that. But that is going to depend, obviously, uh, on, on the pace uh, of the rollout plan, as well as the availability of uh, the, the, the doses or the vaccines. Uh, I, I don't believe that it's, it's going to be changing on an ongoing basis. However, if it does need to change, there will be very good reasons for it to change and we will make sure that information is communicated in a way that it is not confusing uh, to anyone. The vaccination program will be getting underway where it is already underway and it will gather momentum as we move on as to be able to give South African certainty about uh, the way it will work out. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the next question, number three, has been asked by Malema. Uh, Honorable President. Uh, thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, the first goal of our vaccination program is to ensure that we rapidly reduce the number of people who get very sick or die from COVID-19. The second goal, as I was saying earlier, is to achieve population immunity. It is estimated that population immunity will be achieved when around 67% of our country's population has been achieved, which as I was saying earlier, has been estimated to be around 40 million people. To achieve the first goal of preventing as much COVID-19 related disease, the hospitalization and death as rapidly as possible, the National Vaccination Program will prioritize those at the greatest risk. The evidence shows that age is the single factor most strongly associated with the severity of COVID-19 disease, and therefore phase two of the vaccination program will target all people who are over 60 years of age. At the same time, it will also target people of 40 years and older in vulnerable settings, such as frontline workers. Phase three of the program will then target the rest of the adult population. The selection of vaccines for use in South Africa, South Africa rather, requires amongst other things that they be approved by the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority as being effective against the dominant strains of SARS-CoV-2 in the country. Currently, Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson vaccines have been registered by SAPRA. And as indicated in my earlier reply, these vaccines have been selected for procurement. The prices that government has contracted to pay for the vaccines are 10, dollars per dose for Johnson & Johnson, and the same for uh, the Pfizer dose. A wide range of vaccination sites have been identified. These include, amongst others, primary healthcare clinics, community pharmacies, general practitioners, centers, public and private hospitals, and travel clinics. Vaccinations will also be done by mobile teams at mass vaccination sites that have been set up or that are going to be set up and are being set up at conference centers 
and other facilities. And in some workplaces, such as government departments, mines and factories, we've been very fortunate that a number of employers have said that they are also prepared to pay for the setting up of uh, these centers in their own uh, uh, facilities or, or premises. All vaccination sites must meet certain legislative requirements and go through an accreditation process. By the end of April, the Department of Health has enrolled 3,357 accredited vaccination sites. A comprehensive logistics, as well as a supply chain plan is in place. This includes all supply chain preparations and activities from when the vaccine arrives in the country until it is made available for vaccination at each vaccination site. A critical path of this is an effective cold chain to maintain the safety as well as the efficacy of the vaccine and to match demand with supply and enable the tracing and tracking of vaccines. Now, the electronic vaccine, vaccine data system, or what we call the EVDS, is the backbone of our vaccination program because it provides end-to-end -end solutions that is used to digitally capture each event in the vaccination process and provides data to monitor all vaccinations that are administered. And this we also have learned from the manufacturers. I went to the manufacturing factory in Quebeja and saw how they calibrate the vaccine doses. And each vial has a number. Each vial is clearly identified and they will know where each dose or vial has ended up. Highly digitized, and we are seeking to do something that's similar with our vaccination program. Every person to be vaccinated will need to register and will receive details of the date and time slot for vaccination. For many South Africans who do not have access to the internet, both digital and walk-in systems will be used for registration. And callers may also register on a toll-free helpline. Provision has been made for alternative capturing of a unique identifier for individuals who do not have an identity document. Now, the magnitude of the COVID-19 vaccination program requires dedicated staff at both national provincial and district levels. Based on the experience of phase one, staffing requirements and norms for vaccination sites have been estimated to guide planning, budgeting and recruitment. These norms may vary depending on the specifics of each particular site. Government itself is committed to ensuring that every person 18 years and older will be able uh, to be assisted in this regard. The costs will be covered from public funds for uninsured people and medical aids for those who are insured as part of the prescribed minimum benefits. 
This will be the first time in South Africa's history that a national vaccination program aimed at adults will be rolled out. It is an enormous undertaking that will require the support, the cooperation of all parts of society. Now a comprehensive plan is in place, resources have been mobilized and the steady supply of vaccines have been procured so that every adult should have the opportunity to go through this process. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the next supplementary is by Honorable Malik. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Deputy uh, Speaker. Uh, Mr. President, I know that this matter was raised with you earlier. And I'm told that uh, the Deputy Speaker didn't allow it. It is in our own wisdom, if you want to. Because standing there here, I'm confused if uh, you are legitimate in Parliament. Since your membership of the party, which lends you a seat in parliament, has been suspended. And anything else that you do uh, now, even when you know you're no longer a member of your party, will amount to uh, fraudulent activities. Nevertheless, Mr. President, I don't understand whether you guys are involved in transaction or in saving life. Because Sputnik and uh, Sinovac have proven to work and has been subjected to peer reviews and many countries are now using Sputnik. But you are hell-bent at feeding us with Pfizer and J&J. For what reason, I don't know. And the only reason we can suspect is that you are a shrewd businessman who might be prioritizing money over the lives of and I plead with your conscience that please do the right thing. Let's save lives. Leave transactions aside. It's not a point of our transactions now. Put your money-loving attitude aside and save lives. No. no. Honorable Malema, hold on, please. There's a point of order. What's the point of order? Th thank you, Honorable Speaker, Deputy Speaker. I'm rising on Rule 85. The person who was speaking before has cast aspersions on the character of the president that he's making deals for his own self-interest. That part must be dealt with with a substantive motion. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Malima, uh, that, that remark as referred to, you know it is out of order, right? No, the president will decide to answer that or not. Oh, no, no, no. Honorable Malema, this is a matter transactions now. Are you here to defend lives or you want to defend transactions now? I'm asking a simple question. I'm asking a question whether they are involved in transactions or in programs of saving lives. Honorable Malema, the presiding officer is asking you to withdraw a statement that cast the expression according to Rule 85. Could you do that, please, and then proceed? What, what, what is the statement saying? The Honorable... The statement, Deputy Chair, it's a question. The, the Honorable Member who rose, whether by disguised as a question or as a statement, it is out of order when you imply that the President might be involved in things that are, that are not legal or 
or illegal practically. So if you don't do it by way of a substantive motion, it is not appropriate to even insinuate it. Can you withdraw it, please? On a okay, I'm withdrawing with transaction. I'm withdrawing it. Should I, I answer? No, I'm still asking. I'm still asking. What are you asking? It's my turn. The president says, can he answer? It's still my time. What, why are you treating me like I'm a stepchild? What's your problem? Honorable member. <laughs> Honorable member, can you behave for once? Not for <laughs> once. I'm always behaving. You are an old man that always misbehaves in this parliament. In the, in the first place, your time is here. And you it's not true. You stopped me because someone called point of order. Yes. This will not take and you anywhere. You guys are involved in transactions. You are stealing money of our people. Your anger management is needed. Yeah. Honorable Silo. Order, Deputy Speaker. Honorable Silo Malima. this thing that the president every time becomes here all of you are heated and you are defending him when majority of our people die, it's a problem that thing, it must come to an end there's a disruption around here, we can't hear you properly I'm trying to protect you so that you can no, proceed I'm disrupted by the president the president disrupted me hey, I'm Ramalim Please, right. just come down. Yeah, no, no. Can you be in order and proceed? These remarks you are making here will follow them up. Proceed and ask your question. And don't make no. allegations okay, that are ill-founded, out of order, and uh, not appropriate to make. It's the job of parliamentarians to ask executive questions, including uncomfortable questions. Now, my point is, the president does not have the interest of our people at heart because all of these other vaccines that are working, he would have by now procured them and made sure that they are distributed in South Africa. Why is SAPRA taking forever to approve an emergency use of siphon and uh, Sputnik? What plans are there to include the private sector to make sure that we vaccinate as many people as possible because we know that the ANC government has got no capacity to vaccinate as many people as possible. So your time is, those, your time is expired. So those are my questions, Deputy Speaker, including the question on transactions. Do they want money or do they want to save lives? Honorable member, can you be in order? And we'll follow up these things you are saying there from the virtual platform. Uh, Honorable President, please proceed. Thank you, uh, Honorable Deputy Speaker. I uh, thought that Honorable Malema had concluded with this question. That's why I asked you 
whether I should answer. And uh, I uh, am sorry that he took offense uh, at uh, my inquiry, uh, which was to you. We are not in the business of making transactions over the lives of our people. We enter into transactions to purchase vaccines, to acquire vaccines, to save the lives of our people. We do not enter into transactions to advance our own interests, either as individuals or as any other entity. I just want to make that very clear to Honorable On the issue of other vaccines, there are a number of other vaccines that are in the process of being assessed. And as you yourself correctly said, Honorable Malema, you know that SAPRA, our authority, Health Products Authority, yes, is in the process of assessing a number of vaccines, Sputnik included, uh, Sinopharm included. And as we have often said, we are involved in discussions and negotiations with a number of uh, vaccine manufacturers or developers that also include the two. And we have taken care to make sure that those vaccines that have been developed in our fellow BRICS countries are vaccines that we should also focus attention on. And I know for a fact that uh, those two countries have taken some time to develop various relationships because Relationships have to be developed and partners here and so forth, and thereafter to present the, 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 the product for, for testing and assessment by SAPRA. And that is in the process. I am not able to answer for SAPRA, and I, I do not know the full details of the scientific processes that they get involved in, but I do know that they take their work very seriously. And they are also aware of the urgency that uh, this moment presents to all of us. And that urgency also underpins the, work, the way they do their work. So I have, I have all the I know that they will do the best for the people of South Africa. We are all here. And we do not play games with the lives of our people from the onset of this pandemic. All that we've been focused on is how best we can save the lives of our people. Some of us don't sleep much, Honorable Malema, because we are continuously concerned worried and agonizing about the lives of South Africans and how best we can secure the lives of the people of South Africa. It is a task and indeed a burden that you may take lightly, but some of us take it very seriously. 
and we will not play games with the lives of South Africans. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Thank you, President. Deputy Speaker, I didn't answer my question on, on, on cooperation with the private sector because of the oh. incapacity of the state. Well, I, 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 I thought that had been included in the earlier answer where I was saying the development of our rollout plan has enjoyed the participation of all our stakeholders. The private sector has been a key participant. You may be interested to know that almost on a daily basis, meetings are held in one shape, form or another, starting off with the deputy president leading the interministerial uh, committee that deals with vaccines. At the departmental level, the same obtains as well as at the NCCC, we get reports, but more importantly, in relation just to the vaccine program, there is a team that is just completely focused on the, the program and it includes the private sector participants. It is interesting to hear Honorable Malema uh, seeking to know about the participation of the private sector. They are at the heart of this. So is labor and so are other uh, sectors in our, in our society. And this is one thing that we can be proud of, uh, just like we should be proud of NetLAC. And in this case, it is an implementation arm of our program where all are involved uh, in the way that I have I've identified or I've set them out. Private sector, the churches or the religious sector, uh, community-based organizations, labor, and, uh, and, and, and many others. Uh, our scientists and our experts, they are all part of this. So when it comes to the robustness of uh, the, the team that is of overseeing the, the implementation of the program, I, I, I don't have sleepless nights. I know that it is in good hands and we've got the best brains that are involved in all this. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank Deputy you very speaker. much, Mr. President. Uh, before I give to Honorable, Honorable Members, every time presiding officers begin the House, they start with reading movements of members. New members? It is a house, including in whose office they affirmed and or took an oath. If we don't mention body there, please don't smuggle them. that do not exist. With the greatest respect. So this is the requirement that you must formally let us know that there's movement. If you don't, we assume it doesn't exist. So no one else can claim that it exists. This is important. The rules that have been formed here are not for me or for any individual person. They are for the entire house. So let's play by the house. As whips, uh, given your understanding of the allocation of time, this has been approved and agreed. You can't come and turn the house into a bargaining council. Thank you, Honorable Mason, if you want some tips and where to do that. Thank you.
save the house, it's time to deal with substantive issues in the house. And kindly mind your language. Honorable members, we take exception to crude, uh, out of order language that is rude, that is unparliamentary, that has been declared so frequently. We'll be repeating those uh, every time we are in the house. Uh, I'm, I'm pleading with you that it's not appropriate. The next uh, question, point of order. Sec second point of order. Yes, what, what's what the point, point of order? You're just waffling now. What are you saying? Can you take your seat? No, just, but we are waffling now. There what is no. Honorable, we are Delela, uh, Honorable Shivambo. Honorable member, take your seat. If you don't understand, if you did not hear, take your seat. Yeah, but you must stop waffling as well because you must. Uh, honorable uh, member, you were saying I'm waffling. All right. Time. Now listen here. You're wasting our time. Don't speak to me like that. Don't speak to me like that. No, no, no. You're out of order. When I speak to you, you're out of order. Honorable member. want to speak to us. Honorable member. Honorable member. What Honorable Member, He's asking <laughs> on which item are you? He's asking that. It's as simple as that. Parliament works according to agenda. There is an adopted agenda. Now, you can't just speak. We don't hear what you are saying. Hey, what's a good easy all right, all right, honorable member, take your seat too. We have heard you. Uh, if you have missed the agenda we were on, it's unfortunate I'm not going back there. We are proceeding to the item on the agenda, and I'm going to request honorable Dromo uh, to ask the second. Yeah, speaker, please. That's what this. Honourable, Julius, keep quiet. The point of order. Keep quiet, man. We are not running this parliament. Can you just order? Buy? Order, Deputy Speaker. Please. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, it is parliamentary. When you break the rule, when you when you break the honourable member, honourable member, honourable member, honourable member Honorable member, when you break the rules, when you break the rules, you must expect that uh, it's not going to be appropriate when you break the rules. Okay. But if what if the rulings are broken? Yes, honorable member. And what if the presiding officer is breaking the rules? Hey, can I go to our room? Deputy Speaker, order. Honorable members, honorable members, honorable, I'll give one, two. Uh, 
What do you want to say that there is an agenda of questions to the president? It's only one item on the agenda of today's city. And in the middle, you stand there with Delela and then you waffle there. That is what you did. And we're asking you, what do you do that? Why would Delela Parliament so? Honorable, honorable Shibambo. Because that is not part of the agenda. Why, do you, why are you doing that? Honorable, and honor where in the parliament agenda today honorable does member. it say that you're going to waffle here and speak about things that are not part of the agenda? Uh, honorable where, where honorable Shibambo. Right? Honorable Shibambo. But listen to Honorable Shivambu, Lichisa, Uko Umame. Uh, Honorable. Point of orders, Deputy Speaker. Hybrid rules. Deputy Speaker. We had several times opened the mic without being recognized. Yeah. Deputy Speaker, may you please take action on that because it's a complete violation of hybrid rules to open your mic and speak without being recognized. But yeah. he must listen. He has to listen as a president. Oh, again, yeah. he has yeah. just done it. It's the third you time. Please, Honorable uh, Josie, you are breaking this rule for the third time. You are unrepentant on this matter. You know it is the breaking of the rules. Honorable Padebe. Thank you, Chairperson. I'm rising on rule 78.3. Very no member of parliament must undermine the authority of the presiding officer. I think what has happened now is precisely that. Because you are given the authority to chair the house. No one must try to tell you how to do the job. And then number two, chair, once you have made a, 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 once you have made a ruling, the members know that if they, they are uncomfortable with that ruling, they know where they have to take it to, to the rules committee. Your point of order is sustained and it will be followed up. It will be followed up with a formal ruling and action. Honorable members, I requested Honorable Dromos ask the next supplementary question. Uh, is the second question. Mungamele wechuku le comprehensive plan. Mungabe kona ini into eti uhulmenwe tusukali le ufokasa kwi local manufacturing yemiti ne mjogo. Sina kwa mgele sila kuchablela ushele lo konywa kukubiga yungjenga manjo kutwa mungamele emini ingia le miti ne mjogo sinayo South Africa I just want to say in closing, it's important that parties that are well represented here must listen to their members who sit in the portfolio committee of health. Just yesterday, we had SAPRA making a presentation and the ignorance that is actually coming out of this meeting is actually very concerning. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Honorable Zomong Yabonga. Example, Nuguti, see South Africa, see Misel Nuguti. E, emiti emningi, evigela impilo zabantu, nemichov, sifuna Nuguti, 
yenzela ekhaya amanye amazwe sebayitholela indlela yokuthi bazenzele imithi nemijovo bona ngokwabo bayazenzela i-India ilizwe linjalo namanye la Africa yithi kuphela esikwazi okwamanje ukuthi sibe nendlela yokuthi sikwazi ukumanufactura ama vaccines kodwa kusasele nje through our facility facility biovac yona eh enze indlela eziningi zokuthi ikwazi nayo ukuthi ikwazi ukwenza imijovo sifuna ukuthi ikapasiti yabo ye biovac la sihlangane khona ne private sector nokulumeni as their owners nayo ikhule sikwazi ukuthi sidevelope ama vaccines wethu ngiyengathi ku uminister late nzimande ngathi njengoba ehambisa uhlelo lwe science and technology ngathi masike sicele ama scientists ethu ukuthi bange bayebuke kahle lendaba loludaba lokwenza imijovo la ekhaya namanje iqalile leo process yokuthi ama scientists wethu zami ukuthola indlela sokuenza ukuthi sidevelope ama vaccines ngoba kunezimbili eyoqala is the developer and at the same time at the, the second one is the manufacturer we have developed the the the, the capability to manufacture vaccines the biovac facility as well as uh, aspen and a number of others they are able when given all the formulas they are able to to manufacture vaccines what we need is to develop our own vaccines and this is where our scientists our medical experts come in already we develop our own animal vaccines the animals that we have in our country are vaccinated from time to time against a variety of uh, diseases and many of those are manufactured here and we just don't even need to leapfrog we just need to move to the second level and with the trips waiver now being negotiated at the world trade organization we are going to be able yes to manufacture in a big way but it is the development side now when it comes to the development side of vaccines we held uh, a meeting the other day you, as you know south africa has been identified as the champion of covid-19 uh, we held a meeting where we spoke about uh, africa's capacity developing capacity uh, that africa should develop its own capacity to to develop uh, and to conceptualize vaccines uh, we are busy with that we've seen it as a major challenge uh, we first saw it if i may say so with the ppes the ppes the development the manufacturing rather of of ppes was largely outside of our continent and within a short space of time we saw a number of african based companies and entities beginning to develop and manufacture 
uh, their own PPEs from ventilators right through to cloth masks and so forth. So the capability resides in, on our continent. And all that it has needed is that there should be a necessity. And as they say in the classics, necessity is the mother of invention. And that's where we are being led to. That's exactly the direction we are going. Uh, many leaders on the continent have now united uh, in saying Africa must develop its own capacity to develop vaccines. And we in South Africa are taking it very seriously and government is going to lead in this and work with the private sector to make sure pandemic South Africa. And for us, it's, it's a security matter. We have seen how uh, the lack of vaccines uh, that we make ourselves has posed a real serious security matter, um, uh, challenge, which has sovereign implications because we, we, we wait for others outside of our own borders uh, to, to, to make vaccines available. So we are at their mercy. And uh, we now are saying we need to be doing it ourselves. And the message is spreading, the noise is growing, and the capability will soon reside in Africa. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President. The third supplementary is asked by the leader of the opposition. Mr. President, history shown us that the only people who should be worried about angry young men are out of touch old men. And I'm very happy to give you the recipe for the lunchtime because maybe if you had a bit more fire in your belly, the country wouldn't be in the trouble that it is in at the moment. Mr. President, I'm sure you're watching what's happening in India with uh, some concern, although you are lucky enough to have been vaccinated. The only, only way we're going to present, prevent that from happening here in South Africa is through a widespread vaccination program. Yeah, and yes, people in South Africa are angry. They're angry because your government has failed so spectacularly to roll out a vaccination program in South Africa. Many countries around the world and the continent are nearly finished their programs or very well into them. And we have yet to put a single government jab and a single arm in South Africa. So much for science, Dr. Jacobs. We're so far behind the rest of the world. I don't know what science you study, but it clearly wasn't worth it. Mr. President, what preparations have you made? What preparations have you made in terms of vaccine procurement Honorable and new surgeons in transmission your time and particularly is the threat of the new Indian variant? Um, uh, Mr. President. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. The variant that is being ex uh, experienced in, in India is most worrying. It's most worrying because it is engulfing the entire uh, country. And uh, at the same time, as uh, some of the people from that country travel around the world, they are found to have uh, contracted uh, the disease. And obviously we are watching this, but we are not only watching, we're taking steps 
to ensure that one, we are getting prepared and the National Coronavirus uh, Command Council uh, was meant to meet yesterday and we said, let us meet when we have all the information, when we have all the processes that we can uh, immediately embark on. And so that uh, is in process. And in this regard, we will be pleased to know that we rely on our scientists' knowledge on our uh, medical advisory committee that guides uh, our uh, process of dealing with the virus. Uh, so all that is being looked at most closely. We are concerned, but we are also concerned for the Indians. And it is for that reason that we have pledged our solidarity with them and we're seeking to give them as much assistance as we possibly can. We will soon be uh, forwarding some assistance to them because they need help. And we are pleased to know that they are getting help from a number of countries around the world. And we will also be assisting them with ventilators. We will also be assisting them with PPEs uh, and uh, uh, pledging our solidarity with them. And we do this because it is the right thing to do. Uh, and at the same time, we are studying. Our scientists are in the process of studying the variant that they are going through uh, so that we can understand uh, it more fully and how it mutates. And so all that is being done. Uh, so we're not sleeping on the job. We're not sit sitting on our laurels. Uh, we have not hidden our heads in the sand. We are busy right in the ring dealing with this matter on an ongoing basis. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. President, Honorable uh, um, Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Mr. President, notwithstanding the importance of international solidarity, which you have alluded to insofar as the Indian case is concerned, and of course, at the same time, the interventions of assistance that you have spoken to are most welcome. However, Mr. President, the flip side of the coin is that the mutation of this virus into the many variants that we have in South Africa having experienced its own has got a direct impact on the efficacy of the vaccinations which are currently at, available and at play around the world. And so a lack of speed and urgency puts people at risk. In the country, you've got us in the lockdown, but we are yet to hear you, Mr. President, on decisive steps in ensuring the curbing of the movement of people between South Africa and India. And therefore the question becomes, how are you going to protect South Africans from this variant if you do not have a travel ban on India, while South Africa, which had its own variant, found itself on travel bans around the world? So the support we give to India must be reciprocated by a government in that case. Will your government impose a travel ban on India? Thank you. Uh, Mr. President. Honorable Deputy Speaker, thank you. Uh, Honorable Sengwa, thank you very much for your question. Because your question revolves around precisely what the National Coronavirus Command Council is currently seized with. We are looking uh, more closely and scientifically at uh, 
what this vir the variant from India is all about, but we are also looking at uh, how we should respond. And our response uh, could also include precisely what you have said. A number of people have actually been saying, impose the ban, impose the ban. And uh, we are in the process of examining uh, the the whole process and the efficacy of doing so. We uh, pride ourselves with taking decisions based on, 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 on science. And obviously right now there are no direct uh, you know, flights between ourselves and India. Uh, that helps a bit. But at the same time, we do now need uh, to uh, address the issue, which is going to be addressed in just days. Uh, when uh, from the medical advisory committee point of view and uh, an entity which we call net joints in, in government, which combines all our executing uh, arms or institutions uh, will come forward. The question has been posed to them and uh, that is now uh, going to be uh, brought forward to us as, uh, as an answer. So you pose the right question and uh, we are going to be addressing precisely that. But thank you very much for what you have said. Thank you so much, Deputy Speaker. President, uh, the next number four is asked by uh, Mr. President. Thank you. The conflict in Cabo Delgado province in Mozambique has caused great death this also caused suffering and trauma to the people in that area. It, is, it has not only damaged the local economy, but also threatens the stability of the broader region. It is therefore vital that the countries of the Southern African region and indeed the African continent assist in both ending the conflict and also assessing uh, and addressing rather the social, economic, and political factors fueling the, uh, the violence. The chairperson of the African Union Commission, Mr. Musa Faki Muhammad, has stated the AU's strong condemnation of these terrorist attacks. An extraordinary double Troika summit of SADC was held in Maputo on the 8th of April to address the security situation in Mozambique. The summit directed a technical assessment by SADC of the situation in the affected area that it should be conducted within a week and that a report should be submitted to the next extraordinary SADC uh, organ Troika summit uh, so that the summit is then able to deliberate on a proportional regional response. The summit, which was scheduled for the 29th of April, had to be postponed, and a new date is yet to be announced. The international community, and in particular SADC, and the AU has shown a firm commitment to contribute to the stabilization of the situation. The SADC organ Troika is seized with finding a lasting solution to the conflict and to ensure uh, that in finding a lasting solution, we 
resolve this conflict, but also ensure that the Mozambican people are able to live in peace and security and are able to benefit from the natural resources within their country. And Mozambique has been supported uh, in a number of efforts in dealing with this uh, challenge from a number of countries in the world. And uh, we have been uh, giving them uh, moral support and every support that we possibly can uh, so that we continue to strengthen them. But SADC is now going to examine precisely uh, what steps now need to be taken going forward. Thank you, Honorable uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. President. Uh, Honorable Khadebe. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. And thanks to the President for the answer he has given. I think that first of all, Chairperson, we have to appreciate the work of the President, in particular when he was chairing the AU, by coordinating all the heads of states of Africa and ensured that the, South, the African governments worked as a pack in fighting the pandemic. I think that as he responded to the previous questions, I think that appreciation was not elusive. So I think that we Duh. have done, Comrade President. Member two, end of order. No, let me close you again. Honorable I think, uh, no. Speaker, I think this is a problem. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. That. I agree with you. Out of order. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, but you can't have members who remain on the platform who behave that way. On a point of order, Speaker. Yes, honorable member. He, he, he was not recognized. He just rose and spoke, and he didn't say anything. Honorable, honorable members. Comrade Hope did not ask to speak. He just stood up and spoke, and you did not say anything. Can you please call him to order? Deputy Speaker, please. That's a, that, that's a general rule, members. You know that. You, we must adhere to it all the time, irrespective of the circumstances. No, finish that. No, th thank you, Honorable Chairperson. When coming to this speech, Mr. Chairperson, ah, Deputy Speaker, when coming to you to the next to the question, Deputy Speaker, I think that uh, there is issue of insurgents which are carried out throughout the African continent. They do destabilize the development of the African continent. How can we forget what that colonial master Leopold II did in in Congo? when he cut the limbs of the babies to encourage their parents to produce more rubber. Now, 100 years later, in Mozambique, the children are being beheaded because of the vast ruby deposit and the vast gas reserves which are there. But what is critical here is that not even a single shipment of the gas has been taken out of Mozambique, but already the investors like Total, they're already withdrawing from that aspect. So what I want to ask here is that where is the African standby stand force in, in, during this time? Because if these insurgencies are not quelled, the issue of the continental free trade agreement is going to be undermined. Because how can there be trading between the African countries when there's the fights between those countries? I can make an example, Chair. Even uh, after this no, your time has expired. All right. What is the AU and SADC doing to attract this foreign yeah. direct investment? Thank you. 
Honorable President. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. We, as the Sadak family of countries, including the AU, continue to want to attract investments to the various country on our continent, but we in SADC uh, want to attract investors to Southern Africa. And when companies such as Total and others withdraw, as a result of the activities of insurgents, it is of great concern to us. And it is for that reason that countries uh, in SADC uh, were able to get together through the double troika to see how best we can respond to the challenges that Mozambique is going through. And the technical assessment team was uh, set up and it has uh, done the assessment. It is now going to report to the heads of state when we next meet. And the idea and the issue of a standby force uh, has always been uh, pre present and we are going to be looking at precisely what now needs to be done uh, based on the assessment uh, team's uh, report. So what we seek to do is to secure the lives of our people in SADC, and uh, much as it is happening in Mozambique, we are interested uh, in making sure that we secure the lives of Mozambicans, but at the same time, we want to ensure that there is economic growth in our region, in our various countries, as well as on our continent. And one of the ways of engendering that is to bring in foreign direct investment, as Honorable Khadebe was saying. So we are focused on that and we continue working at it. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. The next uh, supplementary question is the second by Honorable Kibambo. Uh, thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. I'll be taking the question on behalf of Honorable Shibam. Uh, I'm Honorable Sinawa Tambo. Wait, wait. Mr. President, in order to achieve its objective of silencing the guns in Africa, the AU established the Africa Standby Force, purportedly with the ability to be deployed rapidly to crisis-ridden areas, to stop wars and save lives. Now, outside of your suspension from the ANC, you just stepped down as the chief president of the AU, and during your tenure, we have observed rapid proliferation of conflicts in the continent, including the crisis in Mozambique. Has South Africa played any role in strengthening the African standby force? If you have, why is it that the force has been unable to intervene decisively in conflict-ridden areas? And will you specifically lobby for the deployment of that force to deal with the crisis in Mozambique? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. President. Thank you, Honorable uh, Deputy Speaker. Yes, South Africa continues to act in concert and uh, uh, in uh, partnership with various other uh, member states of the AU. And we, we act within the broad parameters uh, that are set out by our AU mother body. Uh, as it is now, uh, you may well know that we have deployed our soldiers on the eastern part of the Congo. Uh, they are part of uh, the uh, forces uh, that have been there for quite a while. 
together, acting together with a number of other countries like Malawi and Tanzania uh, to secure uh, the, the Eastern Congo against insurgents. Now, we uh, will never want to be lone actors and act alone on our own volition. We are a country that will always want to act against the ages of uh, our continental bodies and indeed our regional bodies. So in this regard, uh, we are in full support of uh, Mozambique. Uh, we are in full support of countries that are facing uh, these challenges of insurgents. And uh, we work with others to silence the guns on our continent. It has been unfortunate indeed, as we reported uh, at uh, the summit when I, ten, uh, when I stepped down, that uh, we have not been able to achieve our goal of silencing the guns, much as there has been an improvement uh, in the guns of war uh, throughout the continent, uh, but we have not yet succeeded in silencing the guns, and uh, much more work still needs to be done to ensure that the continent is at peace with itself. And in order to engender peace, obviously, various countries have to take up the responsibility of making sure that indeed there is peace. And uh, when we are called uh, upon to, to join a standby force, uh, South Africa will always be ready to fulfill our own continental and regional obligations, but always acting in line with our regional or continental bodies. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Speaker. President, is by Honorable Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Um, Mr. Suspended President, I know our country has uh, a bad character of waiting for things to get out of hand before acting. It was the case with COVID. It was the case with listeriosis. Now, I want to find out, Mr. President, that a crisis threatened South Africa. No, point of order, Deputy Speaker. Point of order, Deputy Speaker. No, point of order. Point of order, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Speaker. Can, we rise, can I rise on a point of order? Sorry? Deputy Speaker. Point of order. Uh, point of order, Deputy Speaker. Yeah. Who's speaking it's order me? here? Honorable uh, Nola, please go ahead. Order. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Speaker, the, the President of the Republic is elected in terms of the rules by the National Assembly. Yeah. And the removal of the President is encapsulated in the Constitution. Honorable Zungula has just said to the President, the suspended President. He is out of order and he must be ruled as such. Thank you. Uh, honorable members, let's agree that the, the reference, to, reference to all members, including the president when he's in the house. Honorable Ho, I'm addressing the issue that you are concerned about. Please, can you uh, be uh, in order, all of you? Honorable members, stop talking across the benches whilst the session is on. 
Honorable members, you know that uh, uh, you must address each other as uh, Mr. or Honorable, and, uh, and in the case of the President, as well when he's, he's in the house, and general. So, uh, Honorable Zungula, and the uh, what, what are you raising on, honorable member? Raising on a point of order. What's the point of order? Uh, Deputy Speaker, for any member of parliament who sees being a member of parliament representing their party, that party must formally write to the office of the speaker withdrawing that member. There is no letter from the ANC suspending the membership of the ANC, of the president of the ANC. So this notion that the president has been suspended is a, it's a myth, it must, be, it must be rejected with contempt because there is no any decision suspending honorable, the president. Honorable, so I think it's important to put it into perspective. This yeah. talk which we are yeah. trying to make no, is neither here nor there. Yeah, honorable member, it's not a, let's regard it as an inappropriate reference to members of the house. Uh, because there's a way in which we have agreed in the rules to talk to each other. Comment that is out of order is out of order. I actually read to you and told you as the House that I or any other presiding officer will read from the House, whether you are still with us or not, including the President. So anybody else who smuggles things here is out of order. So I request you to stay with that ruling, Honorable Members, all of you in the House. Honorable Zungula, Nkalawe Hotwiselentwe Bisu President, Upazu Kakle, Genzela Ekondile. Awenzi Kanjalo, eh, eh, Baba. Ya Hotwisa, Deputy Speaker. Ya Bonga, Goba, Kubeka again. So, as ISIS threatened South Africa against intervening in Mozambique, and there were reports of ISIS training manuals found in 2020 in the Val, and there is a huge number of undocumented non-South African citizens living in South Africa. We know that the insurgents were pushed from Kenya, from Kenya to Tanzania, from Tanzania to Mozambique. Does this not compound the threat of terror within our borders? And what action has the government taken to deal, to proactively deal with this threat? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. You were on the boundary dangerously. Uh, Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. The government, through its various institutions and agencies, keeps a very close watch on the activities of insurgents and would-be insurgents both in our own country and outside of our country. We are watching the situation and constantly doing so to secure the safety of South Africans. In doing so, obviously we've got to be alert to whatever plans these insurgents or would-be insurgents would have and I'd like to assure Honorable Zungula 
that we remain seized with this matter through our various agencies. And we are just focusing on one issue and one issue only to secure the lives of South Africans and to ensure that there is stability within our country. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, on this question, the last supplementary is asked by Honorable M.G. Hendricks. We're listening to you, sir. My question, Honorable President, is why is the Southern African Development Community Heads of State permitted private security companies, of whom some were former apartheid government henchmen, to enter regional conflict instead of using their armies effectively and meaningfully to deal with the problems created by the conflict? Why don't we have a standby African force? And as the Speaker of the House has demanded, a standby African force led by women. Southern African Development Community Heads of State has failed to take into consideration the causes of the insurgency in Cabo Delgado and how to deal with the region's socio-economic and political dilemmas. As I'm most concerned by the report labeling the insurgents as Islamist jihadists, which the House Chair of Parliament settled once and for all. Religion must not be associated with violence, uh, which is now the editorial policy of our state broadcaster. Honorable uh, uh, President, I'm sure that you are not going to have a problem with the menu that we're going to share later this, this afternoon. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. President, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. We continue to work with other countries to address precisely the issues that Honorable Hendricks has put across, including the issue of uh, the, the standby force on our continent, which can <clears throat> move rapidly <clears throat> to deal with all these challenges. Various other regions on our continent have been able to cooperate and work together to deal with insurgency. And uh, we are doing exactly the same in our region. And uh, this uh, uh, follows the meeting of the, the Troika, double Troika, and uh, it's now going to be held later to take proactive action uh, in this regard. Private security firms have often been employed by various companies that work in the various countries, and they have employed them for security purposes, and that is why sometimes you will see the participation, uh, the presence of various uh, private security companies, and they are acting at the instance of the various uh, commercial interests that exist uh, in the various countries. As for governments, we are obviously determined to make sure that we root out uh, terrorism of whatever sort, and uh, we 
uh, ensure that we secure the stability uh, of our various countries and also save the lives of our people and make sure that there are no internally displaced people as uh, this often insurgency often leads to situations like that. So we are working on the matter and uh, with uh, a good uh, information base that we get, we're able to take a number of uh, decisions on an ongoing basis. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. President, uh, honorable members, the next question is number five. It's asked by Honorable Singh. President. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. The importance of the port of Durban lies at the very heart of our economy. It is the country's largest logistical hub for imports and exports, and it affects almost every aspect of our country's economic activity. During the last decade, the port has lost its status as the best performing port on the African continent. The Durban port used to be number one on our continent and used to be counted as one of the very good ports in the world. We've now descended to a number three. In recent years, the port has suffered from long waiting times, inefficient operations and congestions, which has affected large parts of the Durban Metro itself. As you know, I visited the port several weeks ago to ensure that measures are being implemented to improve the port's efficiency and competitiveness. The new management team of Transnet is working very hard to turn around the port's performance. Uh, this, uh, the group chief executive officer, Ms. Poshia Derby, uh, Darby rather, is doing everything she can uh, together with her wonderful team of young people to turn the port around. It is, the management has put in place an ambitious plan for the expansion of the port infrastructure that will modernize and transform the port alongside measures to improve performance and productivity and to reduce congestions in the near term. Over the next decade, this plan will expand the capacity of the port for container handling from 2.9 million units uh, to more than 11 million units uh, of cargo. Uh, it will position the port as a hub port for the region, the continent, and the entire Southern African hemisphere. These expansion efforts will require greater private sector participation and investment in the port sector, well beyond the capacity of Transmet's own balance sheet. Partnerships with the private sector are crucial to bring new expertise to port operations and to modernize equipment and infrastructure at the port. Among the plans that have been outlined by Transnet is the advertising of a concession to build and operate the new 
port terminal by 2021, which will crowd in private sector investment and improve the efficiency of the container handling process. This does not mean the port will be privatized. We should not confuse the concessioning of terminal operations with privatization of the port. And a number of these can be done along uh, uh, programs such as build, operate and transfer and uh, PPEs, uh, PPPs rather. The Durban port is and will remain an important national asset uh, belonging the, to the people of South Africa. Massive new investment in port infrastructure will not only lower costs and improve the competitiveness of our ports, but will in fact create thousands of new jobs, both in the port itself and in the economy as a whole. And uh, I see a lot of improvements taking place in Durban Port. There is a lot of hope and uh, the management team has responded to a number of challenges that have been raised by uh, the private sector. And I left the Durban Port precinct filled with hope that new things are about to happen at that port. Thank you very much, Honorable Speaker. Uh, uh, yeah, Thank you very much, President. Um, Honorable C. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Mr. President, we welcome the public-private partnership in the upgrading of the Durban port. And we certainly hope that the people of South Africa will derive tangible benefits from the project. However, we believe that when such projects are undertaken, the interest of our people and our sovereignty as a nation should come first. We cannot and should not willy-nilly hand over our jewels to the private sector. And whilst we can engage the private sector for its expertise, we must retain our strategic assets as they belong to the people of South Africa. Now, Honorable President, one was concerned when one saw media reports after your, what I would call, quote unquote, historic visit to the Durban port. And then I see you threw in some campaigning at the same time in an area in KZN. Uh, that uh, labor unions were concerned that uh, they were not consulted properly before these announcements were made. Now, we know that it's important to have uh, business, government, private sector, uh, and labor to work together in these regards. And we know what would happen, for example, when we had year that was introduced by your former colleague, uh, well, your colleague, former President Thabo Mbeki, there was resistance to gear. Uh, so I'd like to know, Honorable President, what is the position with regard to uh, Labour's stance on this initiative? And having said that, uh, Honorable President, you know, there's a very large sector out there which we don't consult, and that's the unemployed sector. And there are millions of unemployed, particularly youth. How are these projects going to benefit those sectors and how will they be consulted so that, you know, they also, we can, we can deal with the, with the issue of unemployment in our country at a very, very sustainable level. And I would also encourage further PPPs in other state-owned enterprises. And, and let's hope that you can mention some of those other state-owned enterprises like SA and others. Deputy Speaker, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you very much, uh, President. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable Singh. 
Uh, I'm sorry that when I visited Devonport, I uh, was not able to see you. Uh, uh, you would uh, most probably have uh, uh, wanted to get me to see you campaigning uh, uh, somewhere where you may well have been campaigning. Uh, but uh, we will we will meet next time uh, when we when I'm in uh, KZN. Um, Labour will always and correctly so be concerned about uh, initiatives that they fear could lead to the loss of jobs, and they're right to be concerned about that because they represent their own members, and they're right to be concerned about. Uh, not being consulted, because I do firmly believe that uh, Labour should be consulted on uh, the uh, trajectory of companies that they work for, uh, the transformation thereof, the restructuring thereof. Uh, they need to be uh, informed and they should participate and give their own views. That is why I continue to argue that uh, Labour should not hold back from sitting on the boards of directors, even of companies that they organize workers in, because it gives them a ringside uh, seat so that they're able not only to listen and observe, but also to participate in decision-making. Uh, in this regard, uh, Transnet is looking at resolving the problems uh, of congestion at the port. I believe that this matter has been raised with Labour, and uh, Labour's fear is that we, they fear that Transnet could be seeking to find a way of privatizing the port. I'd like to say that that is far from the truth. Uh, the view is not privatization. The view is working with the private sector in a way where we can crowd the private sector in and get them to work with us for creating greater value. And nobody can be opposed to creating greater value uh, because it is always good for job creation. It is always good to bring in technology. And it is also always good to ensure that there are great efficiencies. Now, this obviously is a matter that needs to be discussed at close range with the private sector, with, the, with labor. Our objective is to retain our assets and to ensure that we retain our own sovereignty over the assets that we own as a, as, as a government and uh, give direction uh, to where we are <coughs> able to, to make sure that we create and extract as much value as we possibly can. If through uh, working with the private sector, we are able to unleash a great deal of capital from the private sector, which we may not have, uh, I would say that it should be done in a way where we're not selling the assets, where we're not compromising our own position, uh, but where we cooperate with the private sector uh, on a special basis, and that is why I always argue that there should be a, uh, a process through which we're able to find a, 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 a way in which we work with the private sector without uh, people fearing that we are privatizing. 
some can come in as strategic equity partners uh, where we work with them in that regard. They bring in finance, they bring in technology and new ways of doing things. And uh, that has been broadly accepted that we can have a situation where we have strategic equity partners uh, who can work with us to show up and to uplift our state-owned enterprises. I would argue that we should not be shy. We should not be afraid. Uh, government uh, should always remain in control of the destiny of uh, our state-owned enterprises. So uh, there should be no fear about all this uh, honorable thing. We will always make sure that the family silver is well maintained, but we should open a way of working with the private sector because that's where the money is. That's where sometimes the technology, uh, advance, technological advancement resides. And uh, if we can find that balance, it's a wonderful balance if we can find it of working together with the private sector. Thank you, uh, Honorable Speaker, uh, Deputy Thank Speaker. You. Thank you, uh, Mr. President. Uh, the next subsequent supplementary question is asked by Honorable Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. President, you have made the point about the importance of infrastructure investment to drive economy and transformation. You also spoken previously about the significant development in the export of South African made cars and other manufacturing products opportunities in the marine as well as in the oil and gas industry. Mr. President, in your view, how will this modernization of the port help to expand the export in the rest of the African continent, also support the localization and advance the goal set out in the economic recovery and reconstruction plan that we tabled here October last year? Thank you, President. Thank you, Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. <clears throat> the revamping of Devonport is really going to be a major boost for our economy. As it is now, the, the port contributes quite significantly the GDP of our own country, the GDP of the province, and the GDP of the metro. So it's a massive mighty player in the economic life of our country. And once it acquires and achieves high levels of efficiency, we will be able to be the export conduit for not only the Southern African region, but also for our continent. Right now, ships go past Durban port uh, and go to other ports on the continent and then deliver their goods, and then the goods get transported by road. We want Durban Port to regain its glory and its positioning on our continent, because through that, the Africa Continental Free Trade Area Agreement then becomes much more uh, of a, a, a reality, because uh, Durban Port, is, once it acquires the number one status again, becomes the much needed port on the continent and it's a, uh, it will be by choice 
uh, from a number of exporters and importers. So it is going to play a critical role. And it is for that reason that we want to unlock its capability. And there are going to be a whole number of other lines that will be uh, uh, developed and, and promoted as the port gets better. So it will continue to play a huge economic role uh, in the life of South Africa and indeed uh, of our region. Uh, one cannot, you know, more uh, emphasize more uh, the importance of that port. But having said that, uh, it's important also to develop and promote the other ports in our country. We're a country that is well endowed with a very long coastline, more than many other countries on our continent, but also with a number of ports uh, that serve a number of uh, purposes. For instance, Richards Bay uh, is, is, is a bulk uh, port for coal and uh, many other uh, commodities. Uh, not many countries boast of having so many ports. Uh, along, along our southern coastline, we've got Kabecha, we've got East London, uh, we've got Kuha, uh, and uh, then on the western side and Cape Town. So we are well endowed with a number of good ports. And up on the on the western side, we've got Sardana. Uh, so we are a country that is well endowed with good ports, and we want to uh, make sure that we revamp all of them. The East London port needs that very much because it's an auto port as well uh, to export our, the motor vehicles that are made here. So a great future awaits not only a Durban port, but also our various other ports. And uh, with the port's authority uh, and uh, with Transnet increasing its capability, I believe very strongly that... Uh, uh, the injection into our economy is going to be quite substantial. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Speaker. President, uh, the next set uh, is by Honorable, the leader of the opposition. Mr. President, throughout the world, the uh, trend of privatization of port operations has seen those ports become the most efficient and busiest in the world. South Africa's ports rank amongst the least efficient. Out of the top 70 efficient ports in the world, South Africa doesn't even make the list. That's a disaster for our economy and jobs. Now, Honorable Singh speaks to the fears of the unions. Yes, but mine wasn't a 30% like yours. But it's the fears of companies facing business failure or the fears of their fresh produce, including those emerging farmers from the Eastern Cape you spoke about, whose stocks that's rotting at our ports that should concern you more. I agree with you that efficiency should be the priority. But the only thing that boosts efficiency is competition, not only between our ports and other ports, but also internal competition between Durban, Cape Town, Kocha, and Saldana. One sure way to try this letter is to let the DA provincial government take control of the Cape Town port. Mr. President, your time is expired. But I was interrupted, Deputy Speaker. No, no, no. Honorable member, your time has expired. Your time has expired. Deputy Speaker, I have to stop because there was somebody talking on the program. Honorable member, I spoke to you earlier. 
You have refused to take my, you dismissed my advice to you. Didn't. You did. Deputy look, Speaker. Look at, no, 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 I'm not accepting it. Your time has expired, sir, with the greatest of respect. They should send you to the Zonda Commission. I think you've got some answers to do. I would be absolutely glad to go there. Deputy I have nothing Speaker. to hide. Yes, What's the point of order, Honourable Member? Deputy Speaker, while the Leader of the Official Opposition was speaking, a member unmuted themselves on the virtual platform. I didn't see the surname. The first name was Nancy. She uh, interrupted the Honourable Stienhuizen for a period of nine seconds. I time it on my phone, and I would like that noted, please, and I would like the member who disrupted uh, the proceedings to be admonished for turning on the microphone and wasting the time of the uh, Leader of the Official Opposition. Yeah. No, we'll do that. Uh, we'll, we'll check who it is and so on. But honorable member, your time has expired. And unfortunately, we, I said so, I pleaded with you, all of you in the house, including you, honorable Spaniards. I'm afraid I'm not allowing you. Uh, yeah, I'm very generous, general. I'm very generous, general. Uh, Mr. President, a comment was made. Uh, please respond. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, I had uh, Honorable Stian Hazen uh, saying uh, that uh, the privatization of courts, uh, which is happening around the world, uh, is uh, serving a number of countries well. Uh, that may well be so in a number of areas. The one that I admire the most uh, uh, two uh, countries, it is Singapore. Uh, the Singapore port, which is amongst possibly the top three in the world, uh, is owned by government uh, in, uh, as part of their assets that they own uh, through the entity that they have, which is called Temasek. They are a most efficient port. I say so advisedly because I have visited that port and uh, have gone into the valley of its operations just to see how uh, that port operates. And I spent quite a considerable amount of time talking to the prime minister, getting to understand how that, not only how that port works, but how the governance process works in Temasek in relation to the port itself. And I also spent quite a bit of time uh, in uh, uh, China, talking to a number of people who run some of their ports there. And uh, most of them are government owned. And then I took the trouble to go to uh, Togo, another uh, uh, country which is handling its port extremely well, the port is growing by leaps and bounds. They've been able to bring in a private sector player to help them, yes, revamp their port and reposition it, but it's still uh, in uh, government ownership. And uh, the, the concessionaire, if you like, and the government have a wonderful relationship. And that is how they brought in the private sector uh, to contribute greatly to the efficiency of their ports. Um, uh, Mr. Uh, Stian Hazen would like uh, Cape Town Port 
to be handed over to the Democratic Alliance, Mr. Uh, Mr. Hazen, that is not going to happen. Uh, Cape Town, uh, uh, Port is part and parcel of our Transnet um, portfolio, and it contributes greatly to the economy of our country. And we are proud of that, much as the port uh, is in Cape Town, because we see ourselves as a unitary state, and uh, these ports all operate to add value to the nation as a whole. Right now, we are on a journey and a process to revamp our ports, make them a lot more efficient, uh, so that they can go back uh, to their glory days. And it so happens uh, that uh, uh, our ports, Durban Port, for instance, used to be uh, amongst the top, I would say, 15 in the world. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Cape Town uh, used to also be well run. And now we've got a management team in Transnet that is improving uh, the efficiencies and they are monitoring it on a minute by minute basis and looking at how many minutes it takes just to handle uh, a container and how quickly are they able to, to handle containers as they come through. Uh, also, you should know that uh, our ports uh, various divisions, various divisions that, yes, in some ways compete against each other. Uh, uh, they, 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 they work together, but as they accede to higher levels of efficiency, uh, we're finding that they, they are doing well and they are going to be doing even a lot better. Uh, with a new management team uh, that we've got uh, at Transnet. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the last on this question is asked by Honorable Margaret. Thank you very much, Deputy. Uh, the President, you just said now in your last statement that the Transnet team wants to manage or know how many minutes it takes so that talks directly to efficiency. But before I get there, I want us to demystify the idea that the Devonport is inefficient. The Devonport is the second largest and busiest port in Sub-Saharan Africa, that is a fact. Two, for you to make it even more efficient, you don't need to bring the private sector. You need programs like your Lean Six Sigma program to streamline their processes with that program, they will be easy. It will be easy for them to know how many minutes it takes. Now, the inefficiency that you should be talking about is of the minister that you deployed in, in SOEs. Because with his inefficiency, we see the drop in uh, the glory of the, the then Transnet. Transnet used to be, have, uh, to be uh, in the top two, as we just said. That's correct. Honorable but because member, of the current your minister, time has expired. No, but Deputy Speaker, so my question is, uh, Deputy Honorable President. Member, your time has expired. No, 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 Deputy Speaker. It can't no, it be. has. No, it has. No. They asked the GS. President, you President, your time with has your privatization, is it, are you trying to smile? I said to you, your time has expired. No, Deputy Speaker, there's not a no, no, Honorable Member, I spoke to you earlier on here. 
that you have allocated time, you have no authority to exceed it. No authority, no excuse. Honorable member, I, because honorable member, I told you and you are defying me. No, you are. Now, honorable member, I have uh, informed you of the decision I have made. You know what you should do. Your time is expired. Deputy Speaker, I'm Don't asking argue. a question. I'm not arguing. I'm asking a question to the president. Allow me to ask a question to the president. I am not going to allow you the because, Deputy because you deliberately no. overstretched your time allocated to you after I want you before. You Deputy have no authority to do Deputy that. Speaker. You will not do that. Deputy Speaker. You will not do that. Deputy Speaker, can I address now, you? I'm muting can you I now. address you? But allow her to ask the question. Honorable members, I told you in the morning, early or rather earlier on, uh, that uh, you've got allocated time. You can't, you can't be, you can't be focusing on everything else but your question, uh, uh, and that's the problem. I told you, I'm, I told you, I'm stopping you, and you are not going to ask that question because you had an opportunity to do so within your allocated time, there is no flexibility anymore. Honorable member. Deputy Speaker, can you show me the time that uh, you're speaking about? I'll show you. No, I uh, want you to show me now, because I want to ask you a question. The president is here now. I want to honorable ask member, now. Honorable member, I'm muting you now, okay? And you are not going to have any say anymore. We are done with you. You, we are, if you proceed, you are going to leave. If you proceed, you are going to leave. You are going, yes, yes, yes. Honorable member, look at you. Please go, please go, please leave. Honorable Maudre, with the greatest respect, don't continue to do that. You, you are compounding the problem you are creating, honorable member. I ask you to go now. Look at you pointing at me. Please leave. Uh, with the greatest respect, Order, order, honorable members. Honorable members, no, man. On the point of order, on the point of order, please, man. Honorable members, please, let's allow on the, the question. Yes, yes, honorable member. Deputy Speaker. Yes, what's the point of order? On a point of order. I am listening. Deputy Speaker, allow the president to answer the questions. Yes, allow the president to answer the questions. But for you to be chasing members out, who's going to hear the president answering the questions? You did this to the president when he was asking the question. You are doing it again. Stop being emotional when EFF members are asking questions. Honorable member, there's no order in what you are saying. Just uh, if you don't play by the rules, you are not going to be allowed to continue. To There's no order you? in what you are saying. You are not orderly yourself. You are emotional. You are Honorable not orderly. Why are you member. shouting at members? Honorable you members. You are not your key. Stop treating us like your children. We are not your kids. We are members just like you. I don't know. Yeah.
You are compounding the problem you have created. No, it's your problem. You are creating a problem. You can you go peace? Can you leave? Me? I'm going to uh, Honourable members, we will not allow this disorder. Honourable members, can you be orderly, please? Allow the house to proceed. Don't add. Honourable members, I said be orderly. No, man, you are out of order, man. That's the reason. You can't be screaming here yeah, when the presiding officer yeah, you is... must chase them out of the house. Chase you them out of the house. Stop saying that. Honorable uh, member on the virtual platform, switch off his mic, her mic, please. Please switch off her mic. You wouldn't have disorder here, people behaving as if they can play outside of the rules. No. No. Honorable members... Can we proceed? The, Mr. President, it's your time, please. Uh, uh, no, point no, of no. order, deputies. No, honorable members, allow me to chair, please. With the greatest uh, of respect, I'm requesting the president to respond. Uh, with the no, with the greatest respect, uh, deputy speaker, it's a point of order. Honorable Ndrozi. Honorable Ndrozi. Uh, what are you rising on? I'm raising what on a point of order. Oh, what's the, what are you raising on? What is the issue you want to address? Uh, let's proceed, honorable members. Let's proceed. Mr. President, please proceed. Thank you, honorable. Uh, Deputy, Deputy Speaker, Speaker, can I raise the point of order? I ask you, on what basis are you raising? An order. No, I, I wanted to ask, when are you taking a break? Because uh, I think you are tired, Deputy Speaker. Give other people to, to preside. Just take a break, man. It's not bad. Because you are tired. You are disorderly. This is the No, I'm saying you are tired. You are chaser all the time. Why don't you go outside, get air, and breathe? Can you switch off that mic? Actually, you mustn't reopen that mic again. Please, this is absolutely disorderly, and he's doing it deliberate. No, man, no, this is unacceptable. Uh, we, we are proceeding. I, I mustn't hear that microphone uh, because uh, it must be switched off altogether. Uh, Mr. President, please proceed. Thank you, Deputy uh, Speaker. Uh, to the extent that I heard the question or comments, which did not, in my view, culminate into a question, it was about achieving greater efficiencies at the port, at Devonport. And uh, the honorable member was saying that uh, we should uh, not really be focusing on uh, saying that uh, Devonport is uh, inefficient. Uh, I, I, I like the approach of uh, saying that uh, we should be focusing more on the 
uh, efficiencies that Devonport uh, has, uh, that, that is uh, what we are aiming to have, a much more efficient port. Uh, and uh, the good thing is that we've been number one uh, on the continent in sub-Saharan Africa. We are now number three, and uh, the tire management team is focused on getting us to become number one again, and they're taking a number of steps. They've already achieved a number of great efficiencies measured against the benchmark uh, that uh, exists in the world, and we, we, we are beginning to move forward. Uh, they've, they've taken the task uh, of uh, repositioning Devonport very, very seriously, and uh, I have no doubt whatsoever that working together with all partners, including the private sector, they'll be able to, to, to get there. And I seem to have heard the honorable member saying, no, you don't need uh, the private sector. Um, the successful ports around the world are those that have been able to utilize uh, the, uh, the, the contribution that the private sector has uh, to make in the form of technology, in the form of uh, uh, management systems, and uh, just a greater delivery uh, capability that the private sector has. And we are saying that we want to crowd the private sector in uh, as they bring in money, skills, and technology. Uh, so if we bring them in, uh, and we bring them in on our terms, uh, there's nothing uh, that can beat that, uh, because uh, we're all working towards a good end. Of course, the private sector will always be seeking to work uh, to achieving profits, but so should we. Uh, but our other important aspect is that we should be developmental uh, in what we do, uh, Durban Port is going to be uh, developed uh, um, through uh, focusing on having a developmental approach, uh, which will result in the creation of jobs, which will result in the bringing in of young people to be properly skilled and trained. And so in the end, uh, we see great uh, mutual benefit as we work with the private sector, uh, and we do so uh, to advance our co uh, uh, combined interests. So I'm not uh, worried and concerned about the cooperation that we can have, so long as it is based on principle, so long as it is based on good partnership, where we foster the development of each partner as we move on. So thank you very much, uh, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Honorable uh, members, we move to the, uh, I think it's the sixth and last question asked by Honorable Kulunavan. Uh, Mr. President. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. The National Strategic Plan for Gender-Based Violence and Femicide requires that the country should strengthen the capacity within the criminal justice system to do a number of things, but also to apprehend and uh, successfully uh, prosecute perpetrators. The criminal justice system is expected to provide justice, safety, and protection for survivors 
uh, of gender-based violence, but also care uh, to the survivors. A number of existing initiatives and measures, such as the Tutizela Care Centers, the SAPS Family Violence, Child Protection and Offenses Units, and our Sexual Offenses Courts are continuing to do precisely that by providing services to gender-based violence survivors. And this is the care and the compassion that uh, we want all these units to demonstrate when they deal with gender-based violence and femicide cases. We're also confident that the three new bills which are currently before parliament for consideration will once passed into law further strengthen government's response to prevent and combat JBV, uh, gender-based violence in all its forms. With respect to the backlog in cases relating to gender-based violence during the course of the fourth quarter of 2021 stroke 2020-2021 financial year, the South African Police Service finalized 3,534 dockets for crimes against women that have been outstanding for more than a year. This, if one does the maths, constitutes 42% of the total of 8,889 dockets that have been outstanding for more than a year. While this is welcome progress, and it is progress, our ability to effectively investigate and prosecute gender-based violence is severely limited and hampered by the backlog in DNA cases at forensic laboratories. According to the South African Police Service, 2,556 DNA cases related to gender-based violence were finalized between 18 February and the 25th of April this year. As at 25th of April this year, there were more than 83,000 gender-based violence-related cases in process, and more than 77,000 were older than 35 calendar days. This is clearly unacceptable, and if allowed to continue at this pace, will severely hamper the fight against gender-based violence. A number of interventions have been implemented by the South African Police Service to address uh, DNA backlogs. And these include, amongst others, improving supply chain processes, the procurement of consumables at a cost of 4.2 million by way of deviation from the National Treasury for the prioritization of cases identified by the National Prosecuting Authority and the filling of vacant posts in forensic science laboratories. An additional 250 million was allocated to the operational baseline budget to address challenges in forensic lab laboratory services. The South African Police Service has also initiated the bidding process to award all outstanding contracts for the consumables and other critical 
areas addressing DNA backlogs. In this regard, South African Police Service developed a DNA backlog recovery plan, which is a multidisciplinary intervention within and outside the South African Police Service. This action plan with clear timeframes and timelines was presented to Parliament's Portfolio Committee in March of this year. Now, a new forensic exhibit management system was implemented on the 6th of April, 2021, to enable the effective tracking and tracing of samples received at the different laboratories. (coughs) Now, we're also having regular meetings that are being held between the police and the Department of Justice and the National Prosecuting Authority to assist the NPA with the prosecution of these cases and to fast track DNA analysis reports of court cases that have been long outstanding. Now, Honorable Chair, uh, uh, Deputy Speaker, in addition to these initiatives, the presidency is working with the Gender-Based Violence Response Fund which is a private sector initiative to mobilize funds to tackle gender-based violence. And the South African Police Service also to find effective ways to clear the backlog. To expand forensic capacity, the work study, investigation on the establishment of DNA analysis capability at the Eastern Cape Forensic Laboratory was concluded in February 2021. This is the one where a number of people that I came across more than a year ago, well, almost two years ago, complained. And I'm glad that this process is now moving forward. So our police are engaged uh, with the Labor Department to review the basic conditions of employment of the people who are working in this sector to allow for a shift system to increase working hours uh, of staff. Our forensic laboratory services are crucial as far as improving the response uh, to the justice, uh, criminal justice system, and in particular to the gender-based violence uh, process. We're therefore resolved to work with all stakeholders. And we're rather pleased that a number of stakeholders have been willing to work with us to draw on whatever resources are available to remove these backlogs as soon as possible. And I have no doubt that these backlogs are going to be removed as we focus more and more on how we can address gender-based violence and femicide in our country in a proactive manner that will make uh, the women of our country and the children of our country feel a lot more protected. I thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Honorable President, to you, I wish I could have been optimistic as you are. I thank you for the the numbers and the figures, although I have my doubts on that. 
but I will follow that up in the Portfolio Committee on Police, on which I serve, because we have a different picture there. The fact of the matter is, Honorable President, the question must be asked, why did we get into this situation where, for instance, the DNA backlog on cases, we're talking about 173,000 cases. Yes, I understand not all of them are gender-based violence. The fact is that there are actually two reasons. The one is that there was no consumables available for the laboratories which the Honourable Minister for Police only realised in March this year. Secondly, the system of exhibit tracking has been stopped last year in June. There has been nine court cases, the last one a constitutional court case, which the police have lost. My follow-up question is, is the Honourable President willing to interfere and to ensure that we don't have further court cases and that these problems be solved on the consumables and the court cases. I thank you. Thank you, President. Honorable Deputy Speaker, I'd like to thank uh, Honorable Grunewald uh, for uh, saying that he recognizes that there's some progress, but he doubts the figures and I'd like to invite him uh, yes, to interrogate the figures at the portfolio committee level, uh, because these figures were given to me by the <clears throat> police themselves. And uh, that I was pleased about because it has raised the level of consciousness and awareness and attention uh, amongst the police about the importance of this work. Uh, you want to know why, where, how did we get there? And I must admit that there has not been uh, very good focus, and the minister uh, also admits this, and now is working feverishly to make sure that there's greater focus. The minister himself, as well as the commissioner uh, and the leadership of the police, are now much more aware that this is important work and it's got to be done. I will not be able to give you a guarantee that we will prevent and stop court cases because Court cases are initiated by uh, individuals, by uh, people, and one can never really give a guarantee in that regard. But what I can say is that, yes, we will uh, continue with our attention. My office uh, will continue to focus on this. Uh, Professor Olive Shisana is always focused on gender-based violence issues, working together uh, with the team of leaders uh, who are executing the National Strategic Plan. So I have a level of comfort uh, that it will be done, but I am deeply worried about the continuing spate of gender-based violence cases. Uh, and we want to ensure that not only the laws that we pass, but also the implementation that you talk about, uh, Honorable Grunewald, uh, does actually take place. We, we want to do this because it's important for our country to take the issue of gender-based violence very seriously. Uh, it is uh, applied on our nation. Uh, it doesn't make us look good at all. Uh, so we need to uh, continue with our efforts to make sure that we eliminate 
uh, gender-based violence in South Africa. And this is one of the better ways of being able to do so because we've got to follow up those who have made it their business uh, to uh, uh, perpetrate violence against the women of our country. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the second supplementary is asked by Honorable Jumat uh, Peterson. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. From the response given by our Honorable President, it is very clear that the DNA turnaround plan of SAP will have the desired effect on reducing the backlog in cases related to gender-based violence and femicide. Honorable President, do you believe that the steps taken by SAPs will be sufficient to address the backlog in DNA tests and thus positively contribute towards our strategy and fight and our fight against the scourge of gender-based violence and femicide? I thank you. Thank you, uh, Honorable President. Honorable uh, uh, Deputy Speaker, yes, I do believe that the measures and the steps that we are going to take will make a very positive contribution. And uh, we, we need to have confidence that uh, the initiatives that are being taken, particularly in relation to ensuring that the DNA uh, problems and challenges and backlogs are, uh, are solved uh, will make a huge contribution. But it also depends on all of us working together uh, to rid our country of uh, gender-based violence. And we've agreed that it cannot be done uh, by the women of our country alone, nor can it be done by government alone. It has to be done by all of us collectively working together. And there are various aspects to this. There's the criminal justice system, which needs to be strengthened. There's the legislative system that is now before parliament that we need to address. And there's the uh, mobilization process uh, where we need to mobilize all of society, especially men and young boys, uh, to make sure that uh, they respect the rights of women. But there's also uh, the other technical side of making sure that things like DNA uh, backlogs are resolved. And the cases of the past are also resolved because uh, those who perpetrate violence against women must know that they cannot get away. And we also need to rid our country of patriarchy uh, so that the men of our country must know that they don't own the women uh, of South Africa. Uh, they, are, they are fellow citizens, they have rights as much as everybody else has, and they must treat them with respect and uh, with uh, a good understanding as well. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Mr. President, the Honorable the Leader of the Opposition. What do you mean? No, 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 no. I haven't, I haven't stopped you. I haven't stopped anyone right now. Can you sort out the mic today? Yeah. Thank you very much. Mr. President, it's very easy to get lost in statistics. But when you actually listen to the real experiences of the victims of gender-based violence, 
you will know that there is a significant problem. I recently met a mother in Peter Maritzburg who shared with me the horrific story of her daughter, Dominique Deploy, who was hijacked, forced to drink poison, assaulted, and presumably raped. She died the next day from her injuries. That was in December 2019. In the year and a half since, her family are yet to see any progress in the case. She doesn't have a case number, witnesses have not been interviewed, and they were told that the outstanding toxicology report could take five years. Five years. What world is that acceptable? It's not only DNA, it's the basics like toxicology. Mr. President, if you think you're winning the war on gender-based violence, you're being misled. What is your message to Dominique Deploy's family, and when can they expect justice? And how do you explain this failure to deal with gender-based violence to the millions of terrified women in South Africa? Thank you, uh, President. You were Thank you, <clears throat> Deputy uh, Speaker. Uh, I will say to uh, Mr. Stian Hazen, Honorable Stian Hazen, uh, the case that he relates now is a harrowing case, very, very concerning. Uh, and uh, the stories that the story that you've just related. Uh, um, these stories are multiplied many times over. As one goes around the country, I had occasion two weeks ago to be in the Free State uh, where we were opening uh, a center and uh, one of our MECs uh, in the Free State was relating uh, some really horrific stories of how the women of our country are not only battered, but they are also killed by their loved one, the, those men who say they love them. And uh, uh, it is concerning uh, that uh, their case, the cases that flow from such horrible acts are not followed up uh, with the enthusiasm that uh, we want. Uh, police service in our country, I must say, uh, they're trying the very best that they can. There are gaps, there are lapses, and there are shortcomings and the type of gap and shortcoming that you are alluding to is one that I would like our Minister of uh, Police to follow up because it is concerning. Uh, it should be addressed. I have personally gone to the, uh, to the homes of a number of uh, women uh, who uh, have been dealt uh, with very violently, either killed or assaulted, and uh, uh, gone there uh, to offer condolences and uh, to, to try and uh, demonstrate compassion. We've got a societal uh, problem, but the police needs to be there to give the support and to demonstrate compassion to the women of our country. So on that one, uh, I think there's been a huge, huge shortcoming in the lapse. And I would like to see that being followed up uh, with immediate effect because it should not be so. Uh, they should not be saying it will take five years to deal with the DNA uh, aspects of this case, but also to have witnesses uh, in, uh, interviewed. Uh, these things matter so much to the families that are affected. Uh, they are about the government demonstrating that it is a caring government. It is a government uh, that has compassion and wants to see the best that can be done for the women of our country. And I'd like us to continue raising these matters 
so that we raise the level of awareness and the level of alertness that our police uh, should have in dealing with this matter. But thank you very much for bringing it to our attention and I'd like the Minister to follow it up. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the last supplementary question is uh, by Honorable Majosi. Honorable Majosi. Deputy Speaker, she's going to be online. Yes, I'm aware he's online, but I'm not hearing him. I hear you. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. I'm here. Welcome. All right. Uh, Mr. President, the Commission for Gender Equality recently released its report on the government's emergency response action plan on gender-based violence and femicide. And it shows the grim reality of little accountability by a government in the fight against gender-based violence and femicide. It is highly concerning that the report found that it is, and I quote, still unclear how the 1.6 funds committed by the president towards the emergency response action plan were to be raised and dispersed for the implementation of the plan, unquote. Mr. President, Considering the agency of addressing gender-based violence and femicide in our country and rolling out the intervention program, what immediate actions will be taken relating to the recommendations in the report? Thank you. Thank you very much and compliment for staying within your allocated time. Uh, Dr. President, please talk to us. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. The amount of money we allocated was 1.6 billion and it was money that uh, various government departments were going to uh, be spending and allocating uh, for the various programs that uh, were agreed on in terms of our national strategic plan and so the the, the execution thereof uh, was underpinned by the availability of this money and uh, the committee that has been set, put in place, one of its key tasks is to monitor uh, the allocation of the money, uh, the spending of the money, and to make sure uh, that indeed the, the money is there. So I will be waiting to receive a report uh, from, from this committee uh, so that uh, they, they, they are able to give uh, an account of what has happened. One of the reasons we wanted this type of committee is to ensure that uh, the work gets done. The National Strategic Plan is implemented uh, in, in full, in all its ramifications, but that they should also uh, keep government on its toes and ensure that at government level, we do indeed implement what we said we would. So, uh, we've got an oversight, it is almost like an oversight committee, and where there is a flaw, where there is a weakness, it is meant to be escalated uh, to the highest level. So that's what I would be waiting for. I expect that this being a high-profile uh, program uh, and objective 
uh, it is something that, that will be done to good effect. It may well be that we're not doing as uh, effectively as we ought to, but uh, the commitment is there. And if it is flagging and lacking, uh, we, we will be making sure that indeed uh, uh, it is, it is uh, achieved. Uh, Deputy Speaker, we, we end on a rather sad note on the issue of gender-based violence, but I'd like to reiterate that I think we've raised the level of awareness uh, as a nation on the gender-based violence issue. What we now need to do is to all work together to make sure that what we set out and what the women of our country set out, the National Strategic Plan, which is very unique in the world, uh, is actually implemented and uh, that all of us must work together uh, with the women of our nation to promote uh, a, a gender-based violence-free South Africa uh, so that uh, the women of our country can walk around and live without any fear. Uh, they can be free knowing that uh, they are not going to be uh, violently assaulted or even killed. Uh, so I, 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 we, will, we must and we will continue to work uh, to make sure. And I'd like to call upon Parliament to hasten the process of finalizing those three bills because the women of our country are looking forward to this Parliament uh, to do its part, but much more importantly, all of us as leaders uh, need to be uh, making sure that we spread the message. Uh, we uh, speak as loudly as we possibly can uh, against those who perpetrate violence so that the silence uh, can uh, 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 disappear in our nation uh, because if, when that happens, the level of consciousness amongst our people is raised to a higher level. Uh, the pandemic of gender-based violence must come to an end. Uh, but I'm hoping that all of us will continue working together in that regard. I'd like to thank you, Deputy Speaker, for the opportunity to appear even on a virtual basis uh, before the National Assembly to answer these questions. Thank you very much. Um. Honorable members, that concludes questions to the president, and we thank you, Mr. President, for having done so. Uh, you, you haven't sweated enough. We'd like to bring you back. We uh, <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate you. your coming, Mr. President. Thank you very much. Honorable members, uh, that concludes the business of the day in the House of Representatives. Thank you.